get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, when the NHL paused the schedule, I was kind of uh, a little bit happy. I kind of missed less games. And then, um, obviously, with COVID, uh, part of the protocol and stuff like that. So, like I said, I'm just happy to be back playing hockey. Uh, it's an exciting team to be a part of. There's there's a lot of talent, a lot of skill, and you kind of feel uh, like something's building in our locker room. We have a uh, strong belief in one another and, and uh, lots of depth, and that's what you need uh, in order to win hockey games. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Braden Shin was outstanding yesterday on the fast lane. If you missed any of their conversation with them, I highly recommend checking it out of the podcast page. 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Alex, Braden Shin came up with a mindset or he he shared the mindset that I think a lot of players on this team are going to need to have this year for this team to really be a cup contender like we all believe them to be. That was just the beginning of it. He then continued talking with the fast lane about what he's been dealing with injury wise. And Alex, we talked about it amongst ourselves. Hey, what's what's going on here? He's clearly not himself. Is he going to be himself at any point this year? Well, he looked like himself again against Nashville. Here's what Braden Shin said he's been playing through on the fast lane. I mean, now that it's done with, I broke uh, quite a few ribs with that crash in the boards and then one kind of injury that injury kind of led to the next one just by compensation and stuff so we've kind of been banged up through the middle of my my body there for uh i'll just call it for the first 40 games i think i've only played you know six or eight games this year fully healthy so i that's the last night where i felt you know really good i felt where i can kind of uh you know be physical and i feel like that's when you know my game's at my best when i kind of get physically involved and i think when i'm trying to play the other way a little bit more on the perimeter or not as physically engaged. I think other parts of my game kind of hurt, and maybe that's kind of what was happening. I mean, it's impossible to, to disagree with that. You know what's insane about that? So the injury he's talking about was back against the Chicago Blackhawks, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was back towards October 30th. October 30th. His next game that he played was the, the next third game. and then the fourth. He remember he tried to play through it for a couple of days, and then he ended up going on the IL, and then he missed the next three weeks. Yeah, and then when he came back, because I thought it was the next game that he was injured, but it must have been when he came back. Yeah, it was when he came back and he got into a fight. Mm-hmm. That was Braden Chen, and he didn't look like himself. The dude had broken ribs, was not himself, and he returns and gets into a fight. Like, that just goes to show you the type of guy that Braden Shen is. He's a team-first player, 
And to know that that's what he was suffering from, it makes sense in why he didn't look like himself and why he was playing the wing because they're just trying to get the most out of what they could from Braden Chen. And now we know, okay, if he's going to have to play the wing, which, man, let's be honest, it looks like that's going to have to be the case. Doesn't because have with, to. He needs to. With the way that Thomas and Barbie and O'Reilly and Bozak and Sun, like you've got so many centers right now, it, it almost it makes the most sense for them to get Braden Chen over to the it sounds like he prefers to play on the right side, but this is the money quote, in my opinion. From his appearance yesterday on the fast lane, this team needs him to be willing to accept whatever role it is that they're going to give him. It sounds like he's ready to do that. I play right, center, left. I actually prefer, if I'm going to play the wing, I don't know why, I prefer playing right wing. I just, I like making, you can make plays or, or just in your own end. Um, I know you're not facing up ice and stuff like that, but you can kind of hit the underneath guy or hit the center and stuff like that. So I actually prefer right wing. So like I said, I'm comfortable playing kind of wherever now. Um, you know, maybe early on in my career, I would say, hey, I need to only play center and center only. But I think when you have a good team and, and uh, guys that can kind of play anywhere, we have guys capable of playing center on wing. You just got to adjust and not really worry about, where you're slated in, kind of what your position is. I think you're just going to have to go out there and make the most of it. And kind of that's when the, the, where I was at last night. That's the mindset. That's it. The, the mindset that Alex Steen had that allowed them to win a Stanley Cup back in 2019, the mindset that you might need some of these other guys to have that are t- typically used to a top nine role. I'm thinking Oscar Sundquist, for example. You're going to need them to be willing to potentially accept lesser roles, less ice time than they would normally have and they would have honestly on a lot of other teams around the league because that's what it's going to take for this team to be able to get to its ultimate goal. It was so refreshing to hear that yesterday from Braden Shin on the fast lane. This is the way the Blues win the Stanley Cup. And in my opinion, this makes the Blues, if they have a healthy roster and guys buying into the system, one of the best teams in the Western Conference. I mean, it's no coincidence that Shin is saying this. One, He plays for Craig Berube. He knows how Craig Berube plays. He played for Craig Berube in Philadelphia. Two, his best friend, Alexander Steen, took that role and Shen saw what happened in them winning the Stanley Cup. And three, I don't think Braden Shen signs that contract extension a couple of years ago unless he understood that his role would be changing from a all-time centerman to a guy who moves around. He's kind of a platoon player for the Blues. You love platoons, BK. I know you do. The data shows it. Anyway... The reason I feel like this sets the Blues above the the others is there aren't any other teams in the Western Conference that have this. Teams like Colorado, they've got McKinnon and Ranton and Landis Scott. Blues don't have that, although Jordan Kyrou's playing like a Nathan McKinnon right now. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights, they have the Mark Stones, the Jack Eichels, the Alex Petrangelos. But none of these teams in the Western Conference have the ability to say, we have first-line players playing on our third line. We have second line players that are playing on our fourth line that have accepted those roles. If you have guys who know they can bring their talents to eight, nine minutes, 10 minutes a night on the ice, rather than 15, 16, 17, 18 minutes a night, I don't know teams that are going to be able to match up with them. We just saw it with Nashville. Roman Yossi is one of the best defensemen in the league. He played against Thomas Kairou and Tarasenko because that is the number one line for the blues. What happens? 
Well, the number two line, which is like a number one line, goes out and scores 11 points on one of the Vezina Trophy leaders in the NHL. This is a dangerous team. And if Shen is saying this, I can almost guarantee you everybody in that locker room has that same mindset. And the lines have been uh, announced. These are from Blues practice today. Unfortunately, I've already seen them. Me too, um, because the, I wanted to make sure I was right. And we're like three days away till game day. The so. top line today out of Morning oh, Skate. Sorry. And by the way, Buchnevich is back on the ice for the Blues. Bucci. Shin, O'Reilly, and Perron, which is what I think you predicted yesterday it would be. You've got the Russian line back to be, together. Buchnevich. The Buchenkshev line. Oh, oh my God. That's worse. Style, baby. That's the worst one yet. The Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko are together. And then Saad, Thomas, Kairou, the line that I was a huge fan of whenever they first put it together. The Samru line. You're welcome. The, what? The Samru line. That's terrible. Sa, um, ru. Saad, Thomas, Amru, Samru line. That's... You're welcome. It'll hit in just a little bit. Let it let it simmer. Oh, my God. Let it simmer, boys. And the fourth line, which I think is going to break Alex's heart. Why? What happened? Is Costin, Bozak, and Sunquist. Why are they going to break my heart? Logan Brown is an extra today at practice. No! <laughs> Logan Brown, no! who Alex told me was one of, what, the five? Five best moves that Doug Armstrong made. Yeah. He's a pretty uh, good move, though. He's on the outside looking in behind Clem Costin and Tyler Bozak right now. All right, now. Brown's time is coming. Yeah, what can Brown do for you? He can sit on the bench for right Whoa! now. That's going to be the, the role that he has to accept. Your you pairings are at? as expected. Mikola, Pareko, Krug, and Falk, and then Scandella. In Bortuzzo is the third pairing for your defenseman. Man, this looks like a Stanley Cup contender, at least up, up front. We can talk and we will talk later on today about what they need to do on the back end with our blue line. But those top four lines, that's as good as you're going to find in the NHL right now. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I, they needed to go back to this Russian line because that Russian line was so good together on the ice. And now the problem was they couldn't find anybody to play with Thomas and Cairo. And now that Saad was clicking for them, they're like, oh, well, we have this option for you. And now that Shen has performed on the wing, I mean, you have two of the hardest workers on the team on the same line together with Shen and O'Reilly. And then you put David Hopefully Perron. Hopefully they can get Perron going. And I think they will. Perron's game is going to get there. It's just a matter of consistency and staying on the ice. And now playing with those two, what I love about the make of these lines right now is your number one line, Ryan O'Reilly, they're going to match up against the other team's number one line. They're going to hurt. They're going to hit. They're going to play strong defense. Then you have the next line of Thomas, or, or, of the Russian line. That line has the capability of just one, obliterating you with their offense, but two, they have speed. And then you got the Thomas Cairo and Sod line. And then on top of it, I can see Craig Berube playing that fourth line for 13, 14 minutes a night. This is a Stanley Cup group of forwards. It's just a matter of getting them to buy in. And now that Chen is saying that Chen's one of the voices in the room, I guarantee everyone in that in that locker room and on the ice are ready to do it. I also love that every one of these lines has a net front presence. How many times yeah. last year were we screaming at our televisions while watching the game? Why will nobody go to the front of the net? Yes, Hanford. It, it felt like you never were able to see it. This year, you've got Shin on that top line. O'Reilly's more than happy to go there. On that second line, Barbashev's happy to do it, and Buchnevich has been better at it than I expected him to be. Sod's there at all times. I think that's exclusively where he plays. Like, he, even on defense, I'm pretty sure he's up there at the front of the net. Like, nobody could tell me otherwise. That's just what I believe. And then Sonny is going to be at the front of the net at all times on that fourth line. 
Every single line that you've got right now has somebody that is willing and able to go to the front of the net to be able to put in those second chance scoring opportunities. It it looks really good up front. The question from all of us, I would imagine, though, is who's going to start in net on Friday when the Blues take on the crack in a game you'll hear right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Here's what Craig Berube had to say also yesterday on the fast lane about how he's going to handle that situation between Bennington and Huso. Well, I think you've got to look at, obviously, the play of the goalies and what's going on. Um, but we have a plan in place probably every you know couple weeks in advance where we look at well this guy's going to start here and here but that's also subject to change on play and um, you're right Billy Huso's playing extremely well right now he has been for a while and so you got to look at that that goes into who's going to start the game a lot of times and who's going to get the next start I have very good trust in both goalies I like both the goalies and I I said it from day one you need both goalies throughout a season if there was ever an opportunity for the Blues to get a reset for Jordan Bennington, it's right now. Because you have, what is it, four, six, seven games left before the pause for the All-Star break plus what was going to be uh, the Olympic, Olympic break, break for the for the teams. You've got about three weeks off right now. Some games will be rescheduled there. Probably have three or four games that are played between February 1st and the 25th. But you're going to have fewer games there than you do at any other portion of your schedule. This is the time. David Alexander, the goaltender coach, working with Jordan Bennington, this is the time to get him right. You've got a couple of back-to-backs coming up Sunday, Monday, Vancouver in Calgary, and then the following weekend with Winnipeg and Chicago. He's going to get a couple of starts at a minimum over the next few weeks. But Jordan Bennington right now should be working with the goalie coach to make sure he's back to the top of his game whenever they need him, and they're going to need Jordan Bennington. When they get back, when we get to March, That's go time. That's time to tune up for the postseason for this team. And they're going to need him to be able to go on their run. But for the here and now, I think you could hear it a little bit with Craig Berube's voice. They're going to trust Huso if they need to here over the next few weeks. Yeah, you trust both goaltenders. And, you know, I think this is a perfect time. You know, Jamie River said it on Monday, which I thought was uh, perfect breakdown of it that you know Bennington's carrying his glove a little bit lower and if you look at him in that 18-19 cup run he was carrying a little higher a little more aggressive Philly Huso he's aggressive he's at the front of the crease he's always crouched down he's ready to go with the glove that's an area that David Alexander works with these guys on a daily basis and look two three days of practice is a perfect thing for this Blues goaltending tandem to just get some kinks worked out I would imagine you're going to see Ville Husso against the Seattle Kraken because of what Barubi said. He's he, he's winning games for us right now. You go with the hot hand. My guess is you go back to Jordan Bennington on the 23rd against Vancouver. Husso gets the start against Calgary. But then when you come home, I, I would imagine you're going to look at that as a Jordan Bennington run. Because if Husso plays against Calgary on the second of the back-to-backs, you're probably going to play Bennington against Calgary once again. And then from there, you're back to your number one guy. Can well, he, then it's back-to-back again. So then you go Husso so and you're going to have Husso so and Bennington. Up. That's but Basically, what it is is you're going to get both guys reps right now. They're going to play the same amount of time probably. And then once you have this break, which, again, I, I'm expecting the NHL to release a, a schedule that's going to reschedule some games. But once you hit the end of February, beginning of March, that goes back to the 70-30 split of your number one guy and then your backup. You're going to need your backup, but your number one guy has got to be ready to go. And if he falters again, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him flip back to Huso and let Huso run for a little bit. We're really talking about the six-game stretch that's about to come up. And I think in this six-game stretch, you're going to see Huso for three or four of those. And normally you would see him for one or two. 
But in this stretch, because of the way the Bennington's played, I think you're going to see that flip a little bit and Huso becomes your de facto. If you want to call it number one goalie, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't really care about what the label is, but he's going to be the guy that gets at least half of the starts for you over the next two weeks, basically. And let's see how it goes after that. And we'll see how Huso performs. We'll see if Bennington's able to get back on track. And if he is, he's back to being your number one goalie after this pause. If he's not, if he still looks poor and and Huso is performing well, well, then maybe it does continue to be a little bit of a timeshare. But for the here and now, that's where they're at. And the, the Blues are going to go with the guy that gives them the best chance to win. And at least right now, that's Ville Huso. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In about 15 minutes, we're going to do some more role play. A couple of weeks ago, we played Woo-hoo. role play with the Cardinals trying to convince one another of who they should sign this off season like a Friday for T-Bone in 15 <laughs> oh. minutes. The head coaching matchmaker is going to take place for the NFL. There are a couple of teams that have gone through most of their interviews. Some of them are already down to their finalists. We'll give some matchmaking up at 1130, but next the blues had a breakout season this year from Ivan Barbashev. I'll give you a pretty wild stat on him. He's doing something for the first time in 30 years for the blues, potentially, Who's the Cardinals version of that player? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't know that you expected this from Ivan Barbashev. And to me, uh, he's been your most indispensable player. You can play him wherever you want in the lineup. He's going to produce. He's going to hit. And this year, he's showing you a ton more offense. And, And he was... You know, I think one of the catalysts in that uh, all-Russian line, which has been probably your, your best line at, at various points this season. So, uh, to me, I'm going to go with uh, Barbashev as most indispensable. It's a fair fair nomination. We We're, thought he was crazy when he said that, by the way. And it was totally <laughs> reasonable looking back on it. Ivan Barbashev has had an unbelievable season for the Blues. If you're looking at it right now, he actually leads the team in goals. This is crazy to me. Jordan Cairo is having a breakout season. All of us agree. He's been incredible for the Blues this year, right? And yet Jordan Cairo has one fewer goal this season than Ivan Barbashev has. Oh, and coming Kyrou. coming into the year, <laughs> Ivan Barbashev's career high was 14 goals. He did so in uh, 80 games back in the 2018-2019 season. He never again after that had more than 11 in a season prior to this year. So this is a clear breakout season. And if you look at the pacing stats, Alex, Barbashev is now on pace for 30 goals. He's on pace for 40 assists, and he's on pace for a plus 15 on ice rating this year. The last Blues player to have all of those meet all of those marks, 30 goals, 40 assists, plus 15 on the season was Brett Hole back in 1990. Some pace to do something that a blues player hasn't done in 30 years. Who's the Cardinal that could do that for you? Like, let's switch this up a little bit. Let's talk about the Cardinal side of things. Talk about Ivan Barbashev. Because so much prepared. Paul Young's a good skater. He could probably do it. In so many different ways, Ivan Barbashev is the guy that unlocked the potential for the top six. He was, he's kind of your glue guy right now. He was able to push Brandon saw down to the third line. He's the one that allowed them to, to really become a different team than I think any of us really expected them to be. Who's the Cardinals player that could do that. I'm not even going to say necessarily hitter. Cause you can say it however you want to. Who's the Cardinals player that you could think do that? what I'm thinking? Jeff Albert. <laughs> it's a little different, but sure. <laughs> I think personally, I think we saw that already. I think we saw the Ivan Barbashev already, and it was Tyler O'Neill. 
Because Tyler O'Neill went from a season, and I don't know if Tyler O'Neill was ever on the level of what Ivan Barbashev was, because so many people were frustrated by Tyler O'Neill, and we really never saw that. I mean, we saw the power, but we never saw the consistency. And, and Ivan Barbashev showed that he was an NHL player. We just didn't know the offense was there. But I think this season for Ivan Barbashev was what last year was for Tyler O'Neill, where we saw the breakout and we're like, oh, damn, this is an MVP. And think about it. Tyler O'Neill at that level changes the outlook of this offense. We're coming into this season not saying that they have to go get a Carlos Correa or a Trevor Story or a Kyle Schwarber, although I'm saying that, Nick Castellanos, because you have O'Neill, Goldschmidt, Arenado. So for me, the Ivan Barbashev was last year of Tyler O'Neill, and maybe we see a bigger step from Tyler O'Neill like Ivan Barbashev took this year. See, mine for this year is Tommy Edmond. Because he's been kind of when really I when I think of Ivan Barbashev, I thought of kind of a average above average guy for the St. Louis Blues until this year in this breakout, and now I'm going, wow, he is a top six forward. Tommy Edmonds, that guy for me, because I look at him and I love his defense. I look at him at the plate though, and his numbers are decent. His average of two sixty two, he doesn't do a lot of slugging. OPS is low, and his OPS plus is b- below league average. So I look at him. I, I thought last year coming out of spring training, I had a bold prediction that he was going to be an all star. That didn't happen. I mean, he started off the year pretty well. I think he's going to hit better against right-handed pitching. He becomes the tone setter for you at the top of that lineup, the way he's able to get on base with his doubles, where he had 41 doubles, and he also had 30 stolen bases. I think he becomes a tone setter for the Cardinals if he's able to have that breakout year as an Ivan Barbashev. I think I think he has the potential to be a 270 to 280 hitter, raise the on-base up to what you'd expect from a leadoff guy, and hit about 15 home runs. What if I told you... Oh, it's going to be Bader. 30 for 30. If you say Harrison Bader, I am turning off your mic. That there is a Cardinal. Oh, God, he's going to do it. Who over the last three nope. full seasons. Don't do it. Has hit an average of 15 home runs per year. Nope. It's Juanya Pez. He plays gold glove defense. Don't. And last season, he showed signs of not only being a gold glove defender, but also being a more than capable player at the plate. Tur- tur- turn his mic off, T-Bone. Turn it off. That sounds a lot like the type of player that we considered Ivan Barbashev to be prior to 2022. If you look back at last season, for example, and you exclusively look at OPS on the St. Louis Cardinals, you look at nothing else, you just look at OPS. The only players that had a higher OPS than the guy that I am about to say were Tyler O'Neill. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, oh all God. of whom now he's considering him an MVP. Were legitimate MVP candidates last year oh in the National God. League. Oh God, don't! The Ivan Barbashev of the Cardinals is Harrison Bader. All right, that's it. I'm out. He's been in the league now for five seasons, much like Ivan Barbashev, who had been with the Cardinals for a number of years and didn't show this kind of upside until this season. If Harrison Bader can actually hit breaking balls, if what we saw last year was real from him in terms of his offensive development, if he's able to lay off of those pitches and it forces opposing pitchers to throw him more fastballs. Last year in 100 games, he hit 16 home runs. If you pace that out over a full 162 regular season, you were looking at a guy who could hit legitimately 25 home runs in the middle of your order for you or could be a real leadoff hitter that we all want Kyle Schwarber, right? What if I told you you've got a guy in the in your lineup right now that could potentially be Kyle Schwarber light? And oh, by the way, he's great on the base paths and is a gold glove center fielder and arguably the best defensive outfielder in the sport. 
That's what Harrison Bader's potential is for you right now. I'm not saying he's for sure going to be that, but the guy that I think is most likely to become next year's Ivan Barbashev for the Cardinals, I, I really do believe sincerely that it is Harrison Bader. Am I crazy here? Yeah, you're crazy. The difference to also is like Bader can't stay healthy. Like okay, we, falling on a ball, I don't really count as yeah, staying healthy. I mean, <laughs> falling on a ball. He played That's 130 games in rib. 2019, 140 games in 2018, played almost every game in 2020 in the shortened season, and then last year he broke a rib because he was play, he was going all out, well, be trying better. to make a big play in the outfield, and be, he broke his ribs. Man, be better than that. You just heard uh, Braden Shin in our first segment say he couldn't play like himself for 40 games because he had broken ribs. I, I, I just don't know if I see the offense from Harrison Bader meeting that potential. I mean, I, I don't know if Bader's offense is going to be in the conversation of Goldschmidt, O'Neal, and Arenado. I, I think... I, well, I Probably not. But, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Like, I mean, for an Ivan Barbashev jump, you're, we're talking about a guy who who is a Jordan Cairo level player. He's better than Jordan Cairo on the offensive side here. So I think if, if we're going a guy here, and I understand the full potential, and look, Ivan Barbashev is a very good defensive forward and like he's under he's underrated for that because of this season because everyone's looking at his offense but he's one of their top defensive forwards on this team Harrison Bader gold glove winner I think the offense is going to take a step for Harrison Bader I think he's going to be that guy that we all said just put him in the eight hole and not worry about it anymore this is a guy See, I think he could be your leadoff hitter next well that's year. what I'm saying this is a guy who could honestly change the the direction of where he hits in your lineup one because of the new the new voices at the helm of the Cardinals clubhouse and Marmol and Schumacher um, and Jeff Albert. But on top of that, like his offense is going to show there, but to comp it to what we're seeing this year from Ivan Barbashev, I, I would go down more of a Dylan Carlson route because that's where like, I'm looking at a guy who's waiting to break out with the offense that we've seen in the past. See, I, I think Carlson's more of your, um, th- that's more similar to what we've seen this year from Cairo. In my opinion, just because Kyrou was always seen as being that guy who could break out and be a 25-plus goal scorer. And then last year we saw quite a few glimpses of it, and this year it's just it's come fully formed. Yeah. I think that's what Dylan Carlson is for me. He's your Jordan Kyrou. And my def- my definition of the bar- who's the barbership, it was kind of that glue guy, and that's why I went Tommy Evans because he's going to be leadoff. If we're going by a guy that could make that jump to being that 25-goal scorer, and that's kind of the comp you're looking for, I do think Bader's the better comp than Tommy Edmond. You think Bader can hit more home runs than Edmond? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Bader has potential. You said, what, 25 home runs? Mm-hmm. I think he'll could get around there. 20 to 25 is about his range. I mean, the and, guy and hit the thing 16 was, home runs in 100 games last year. We, we've got to stop sleeping on the power that, that Harrison Bader showed. It's not the power. It's just the inconsistency but the other because thing he with, gets hot and then, you don't, and then he disappears for three weeks. The other thing with Bader, though, is we've been able to kind of track the improvements from Harrison Bader. And this, is, this isn't a shot against Tommy Edmond, but his numbers are very similar from 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, 2020 is a 60-game season. I get it. But his OPS plus, his OPS, his average, all that are very similar. There wasn't much improvement. Bader, we saw improvement in terms of average, power, slugging, on-base percentage, and not only that, but it's the finer details of we saw him improve against breaking balls. We saw him improve against right-handed pitching. I think that's a trend that's going to continue and if we're going on that barbershop comp of a guy that just kind of explodes on the scene with the 25 goals and Bader has the potential to explode on the scene with 20 to 25 home runs and become, whether it be a leadoff guy or be hitting fifth or sixth in the lineup for the St. Louis Cardinals. I do believe if we're going on that as the definition of barbershop, I do think Bader is the better comp. Somebody on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. 
uh, someone needs to open a window, let some air into that studio before BK passes out. Uh, it's like that, Vegas in here. Windows don't open. Thinking that Bader can pull, put up uh, Kyle Schwarber numbers offensively is absolutely crazy. Guys, you look at 2019 and 2020, the numbers that both of them put up, Harrison Bader had a batting average that was 25 points higher. The on-base percentage were basically identical. The only real difference between the two was their slugging percentage. And last year, if you look at what Bader did in terms of his slugging percentage, it was pretty close to where over the last four years prior to his breakout season last year. And I'm saying what what you'd be hoping for is that you see a breakout in 2022 for Harrison Bader, similar to the breakout that we all saw last year from Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber's slugging percentage going into last year for his career was 480. Harrison Bader's slugging percentage last year was 460. It's not that far off, man. And and I'm not telling you that you're going to see offensively next year from Harrison Bader what Kyle Schwarber has been. I'm not telling you that you can expect that. But his upside is pretty darn similar. And and that's where I think that the I I fall in line a little differently from a lot of Cardinals fans is I'm not telling you what to expect. I'm telling you what the ceiling is. If he hits his apex the way that Tyler O'Neill did last year, I think that's pretty much the ceiling of what we can ever expect from O'Neill offensively. I, I think it looks pretty similar to what we see on a consistent basis from Kyle Schwarber. And that's really the Ivan Barbashev com- uh, conversation. Nobody saw this coming from him other than Alex Ferrario. He, he said all along, Barbashev has this kind of upside. And now suddenly it's here, and he's the guy that some believe to be the most irreplaceable player on the Blues. I'm going with Harrison Bader as being potentially that player for the Cardinals next year. Tanner, you said Tommy Edmond. Alex, you went Dylan Carlson. Mm-hmm. Those are the three that we've got as our nominees. Let me get, sorry, real quick. Let me ask yeah. you guys this. And I don't know if we've done this on the air before, but if if an expansion draft were to take place in Major League Baseball and the Cardinals had to protect, do you think Bader would be on that protection list? I, I think it kind of depends on just how many players. And that's what you've I don't know how you list. would do it, like because uh, it's a different criteria of you're p- protecting like a certain amount of pitchers, certain amount of position players, and things like that. That that's the other element for me where Barbashev comes into this because Barbashev was the guy that the, the Blues said, "Hey, we got to protect him." How many how many forwards were they allowed to protect in, in the seven NHL? forwards? So seven, seven forwards, three D, and, and one, one goaltender. So let's say that you were able to protect six position players in, in Major League Baseball, you'd be protecting Goldie, Arenado, Carlson, O'Neill. For sure, those Edmund. are the no doubt. I think you're protecting Edmund. D- does Gorman play into this? Like, would he? Because no, he's on your 40 so. man roster next yeah, year, most likely. In, in, in hockey, it's the guy you have to have a certain service time before you're protected. Like Nico Mikola didn't have to be protected by the Blues because he didn't have enough service See, time. I don't so, think Edmund would be protected because you have Gorman coming up. But a utility guy, like Gorman's not a utility guy. I mean, you can always develop a utility guy. I have yeah, not like that though. I think you're probably protecting the other two would be Bader and and, and Edmund. And then, I don't think you have to make a tough decision there because Yadi's yeah. getting up there in age right now. I don't think and you're probably going to see doesn't him have enough service time. So it, that's yeah. where it's different with Major League Baseball. But I think that's important to look at as well because if the Cardinals deemed it enough to protect that player, it, it's in the same conversation because that's what Barbashev has cited why he's playing so well this season. He said, it meant a lot to me to know that this team thought so much of me to protect me over a Tarasenko and a Jaden Schwartz. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, we're going to play a matchmaker game between NFL teams and some head coach candidates. We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
with Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, let's play some NFL head coach matchmaker here on BK and Ferrario. Are we role playing? Alex, <laughs> Tanner, and I each picked a team that we are going to represent. We all have two coaches that we will represent as well. So, Alex, we're going to start. You're representing the Denver Broncos. How about you sell me and Tanner on your job as being the best that's available out there on the open market? Well, Denver. Need I say more, boys? Yeah, yeah. Tell me more. Okay, I've, I'll tell I've you only more. been there for a day. Okay. Really? So, really? That's you it? Go to Denver. Yeah, you Denver's should go every once in a while. I've been, there, love I've been there for great I kid you not. It was like a day, and then we came back. I didn't think good you were weekend kidding. trip. Th- Thursday through Sunday. Colorado good, Rockies good ball. Weekend. Colorado's Rockies ballpark. Maybe okay, well, look, if you want if you want to role play for some baseball, go somewhere else because we got role playing on football to do here, boys. Let me sell you on a team. It was in the playoff conversation. Our shortcomings are our quarterback. I want to be straight with you guys. If Teddy Bridgewater wouldn't have got hurt, probably would have been in the conversation of a wild card team. But we got an incredible offense. I mean, need I go through the list of Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, have a couple of young studs. Well, one's a little bit older on the running side, but both Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. We got some studs defensively. Even when we traded our best defensive player still had a pretty damn good defense. We're just looking for that franchise quarterback, which we're going to spend money to do. We're going to trade picks, whatever we need to do. We're going to get that guy this off season. There's a lot of them to be had, but we need a, we need a coach to come in Take advantage of this incredibly young and talented offense, gifted defense, and some money to spend. Who you got, boys? So Tanner is going to be playing the role of Dan Quinn, the current Cowboys defensive coordinator, former Atlanta Falcons head coach. Just leave. I will be playing the role of Eric Bieniemy, both of whom have previously interviewed for this job out in Denver. Tanner, I'll let you give your pitch first. All right, thanks, Dan Quinn. Come on, give Dan a chance. Take a seat. Okay, so. I'm a defensive-minded coach. You saw that awesome defense that we had in Dallas this year. What's Denver been known for over the last couple of seasons? It's defense. We're going to keep up the defensive strength. We're going to go out and get that franchise quarterback that you were just talking about, and I'm going to bring in a up-and-coming offensive mind, and we're going to have one of the best defenses in the league. We're going to be a turnover machine. And the offense is going to take that next step forward. We're going to be able to bring Denver back a Super Bowl. All right, now listen. I, my name's Eric Bieniemy, and everything Dan uh, just said—that's wonderful. I'm happy like to I'm hear that that Dan's going to make your defense really good. Do you know you're in a division right now with Justin Herbert and Patrick defense. Mahomes? Herbert can't get the playoffs. So you go can't ahead. stop those guys. There is no stopping them. We're not going to be able to. We've got some really good corners, but let's be honest. Every time we go up against those teams, we can't score enough points to keep up. Mahomes all right. I got the defense set for him. On offense, you want to bring in a new quarterback? I'm the guy to make sure you get the most out of him. You look at what I've done in Kansas City. Since taking over as offensive coordinator, we have finished second, fourth, sixth, and fifth in points in the NFL. If you look at what I have done in the past, I have been the guy that got the most out of Adrian Peterson in the running game in Minnesota when I was their running backs coach. You got a couple of good runners? I'm going to make sure you get the most out of Javante Williams as a stud young running back. I'm your man. Eric Bieniemy. I should be the one that gets this job out in Denver. Look, um, Dan... Uh, yes, sir. Alex I, hates Dan. Quinn I appreciate so much. you coming coming to this meeting today. But as much as I love what you've done with the defensive coordinator in the past, um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but your success came from Kyle Shanahan. So uh, twenty eight to three is going to live in infamy. He hasn't won without me. 
Uh, well, neither he have might you go with, to the Super Bowl this year, and he already went with, to another. Neither with you with him. That was on my offensive coordinator and I hate for the quarterback sneak. But your defense choked in the first round of the playoffs. It's true. So, Eric, I need some offensive mindsets to go in this this uh, division. I'm going to Vegas, baby. <laughs> Eric B. Enemy, <laughs> welcome to Denver, and uh, enjoy your time here. All right, so we got a matchmaker here. Eric uh. B. Enemy, the next head coach for the Denver Broncos. Tanner, you're going to be switching it up. You are now representing the McCaskey family. You are Ooh. the Chicago Bears. Alex is going to be playing the role of Brian Flores. I will be playing the role of Brian Dable. All right, well, guys, we have one of the best fan bases here in Chicago. Now, they can be a little intense sometimes. Ignore the fact that they were chanting to fire Matt Nagy before the season started. I heard something about his son as well. There yeah, was yeah just ignore that. Just ignore that. It's fine. That's yeah, fine. It's, it's a great it's place a to be. It's a passionate fan base. We have a franchise quarterback in Justin Fields. We have defensive pieces as well. Robert Quinn found the fountain of youth. We've got Khalil Mack still. And our fans, like I mentioned them earlier, they make great songs too. A team that is known as the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. All right. Let's see what we got That's in terms great. of our coaching candidates. That's great. Well, if you don't mind, Brian. Myself, Brian, is going to go first here. Um, Got the two Bryans. Look, I'm a highly touted head coach that was fired for no reasons that I can handle myself. I mean, let's be honest. I had a win streak that's really never happened before in NFL history of starting off poorly and then going on an incredible streak to barely make the playoffs, mind you. I understand your concerns. I'm going to think he missed the playoffs. Well, he missed the playoffs, but he barely well, got you don't in. You know your no, own resume? No, he barely got in. <laughs> now, look, I'm going to stop you before Brian over here talks about my quarterback issues. I understand I had another young quarterback. Told but, Tua that he had a noodle arm. Well, he did have a noodle arm. I'm going to be 100% with this one. What do you think of Fields' arm? I think it's great. And yeah. I think I can do a lot with it. But my selling point is the defense. I had a great defense in Miami and was one of the top defenses for a little bit of time there. But more importantly, I think Chicago's got a defense that I can do something with. So I come in. Defense is going to be tops in that division. Offense, I'm going to turn uh, Justin Fields into something important. Thanks, Mr. Flores. Listen, I want to start off by saying I think Flores is a fantastic head coach candidate. And I, he should get a job somewhere else this offseason. But it should not be in Chicago. And here's why. Never because Brian Dable, me. I'm your guy. I have had the a hand in developing Josh Allen into what many believe to be a legitimate top five quarterback in the NFL. We went in my time in Buffalo from being the 30th ranked offense to the 23rd ranked offense to each of the last two years finishing top three offensively in the NFL. If you watch the wild card weekend, you watch we had the first ever perfect game by an offense in the NFL postseason. We had seven possessions to start out the game, scored a touchdown on every single one of them. And then on our eighth possession, we didn't need to score anymore, so we took a knee. It's the wow. first time that's ever been done in NFL history. It happened with me at the helm. I'm going to make sure you get the most out of Justin Fields, and that should be your number one priority in Chicago. I believe that I, Brian Dable, should be the Bears' next head coach. Well, someone's got a uh, ego issue over here. Yeah, Brian Flores, you do. What? Taking shots at two and his <laughs> noodle arm hey, looking for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I'm taking what? Brian Dable. He developed Josh Allen. Hopefully he can develop Justin Fields, who I think – 
could profile as a Josh Allen as well. So by the I'm way, Justin's the job to never going to be Josh. So just move on. I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> All right, final one here. I'm going to be taking over as the Minnesota Vikings ownership group. Listen, we've got a lot to offer here. We're not sure what the future holds for Kirk Cousins, but I can tell you that last year he threw 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Our problem was our defense stunk, and we didn't have a full season of health out of Dalvin Cook. But you're not going to find another opportunity like this where you've got Dalvin Cook in your backfield, a legit number two running back in Alexander Madison, and on the outside – We've got Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, two of the best receivers in the league, and we've got a legitimate superstar defensive lineman in Daniil Hunter whenever he's healthy. We've got stars all over the field. We just need somebody to come in and change the culture because it was rotten at the end of Mike Zimmer's tenure. I've got in this room right now Nathaniel Hackett as Tanner, the former offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, and Todd Bowles, previously with the New York Jets, now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their defensive coordinator. Nathaniel, would you please explain why I should hire you as the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings? Joke! Whoa. Well, you mentioned the rotten culture. We had Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) And we're winning. We're the number one seed in the NFC. And if that's not enough to sell you on our culture, I don't know what is. That's the best opening a selling point I've ever heard. And I see a lot of similarities. You talk about rotten culture. We had Aaron Rodgers. We have a lot of similarities to that offense. I'm going to bring the Green Bay offense to Minnesota. I see a lot of similarities. I've got Kirk Cousins, as you mentioned, had a great year. I can make him an MVP caliber quarterback with the weapons he has at wideout and running back. I see a lot of similarities to this offense comparing to the Green Bay Packers. I'm bringing our system in. We're going to take down Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. We're going to win the NFC North. We're going to go on a run. I am really... I'm pretty inspired by what I I just heard from Nathaniel Hackett. Todd. Todd Bowles, I'm going to be honest with you. You are behind the eight ball right now when it comes to becoming my next head coach. I tend to lean more offensive minded. But Don't forget about his Jets tenure. I do want to hear you out on why you should be the next head coach of the Minnesota well, Vikings. First of all, let's forget the Jets tenure because I never had a legit quarterback there. So let's move past That's that fair. right now. I mean, Sam Darnold, well, you know, he had a lot of issues. Noodle alarm. Noodle alarm, indeed. Uh, Minnesota, if you don't mind me going back into what your your speech and selling point to us was, what did you say that you guys struggled with over these last couple Cold of years? What was the other thing? Defense. Oh, okay, that's right. Well, if you take a look at the team that I've been a part of as the defensive coordinator, well, they're one of the top defenses in all of football. On top of it, I've been around some pretty damn good culture. May have heard of this guy before, Tom Brady. Look, defensively, offensively, you've got the weapons. And I promise you, if I'm the head coach, we're going to bring in the right offensive coordinator. I got the guy in mind that I can bring in and take the most advantage of Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. Oh, I do. What's his name? Uh, We don't need to get into that right now. Okay, we'll get into staffing later. Yeah, staffing will be once you hire me here. But all this guy's talking about is offense. I'm going to fix the culture. But more importantly, I'm going to fix the problem that you had this season, which was defense. Mike Zimmer couldn't do it. But let me tell you something. I promise you I'll take what I've learned in Tampa, and I'm going to take that Tampa Bay defense to Minnesota's defense to match the offensive capability of Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. Todd, thanks for coming today. I really apologize. But, you know, I... This sucks. Boomer Esiason, I heard an interview with him recently. He's well, in New York. stop listening to other people talk. And Boomer Esiason <laughs> said that Todd Bowles has a sleepy personality. I'm going to go ahead and get I Nathaniel Hackett. You can't, disagree. On the I can't disagree with that. I'm going to take Nathaniel Hackett, who has found a way to take the rotten culture player in Aaron Rodgers and turn that into the number one team in the NFL this season. Culture's I'm going to have him there. 
as my next head coach here in Minnesota. Nathaniel Hackett, the next head coach of the Minnesota right. Vikings. By the way, everyone, I suck at matchmaking, plain and simple. <laughs> oh, and I think I'm like 0-4 when we do this. Coming up in 15 minutes, there's one defenseman that's standing above the rest for the Blues right now when you look at the open market. And no, it's not Jacob Chikrin. We'll tell you who it uh-huh. is coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. In 10 minutes, we'll tell you the one defenseman that's standing out above the rest for the Blues as a trade candidate. And no, it is not Jacob Chikrin. This one comes from the 314. Hey, guys, which player is more likely to have their jersey retired by the Blues? Alex Petrangelo or Vladimir Tarasenko? That's a, it, it's a fascinating question, Alex. Yeah, um, man. My... My gut tells me it would be more Alex Petrangelo because he was the captain of the first team to win the Stanley Cup. And if you look at where Petrangelo ranks, I mean, games played, he's 758, which was fifth. Um, And other than David, David Perron's the only one that's anywhere near catching him. Perron's sitting at 10th at 632 and assists Alex Petrangelo's towards the top with 341. Never going to catch Bernie Federko. Um, But the thing with Vladimir Tarasenko is Tarasenko's fifth in goal scored. The only difference here is if Vladdy's demand for a trade stands, I just wonder if they look at that differently than what they look at Alex Petrangelo opting to leave for free agency. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think both could have their numbers retired, but if I were to pick one, my gut would say Alex Petrangelo for where he is in the franchise rankings. He was drafted by the Blues. I know Vladdy was as well, but he was also the captain of the team that won the Stanley Cup. What about Alex Steen? I I know that's not part of this question, and I would probably, I'm with you. I think Alex Petrangelo is more likely because he was the captain when they won the Stanley Cup, first to ever hoist that trophy over his head in the Blues uniform. I'm with you. I think that's the correct answer on this one. But if we're expanding the conversation a bit to other players from this era, Alex Steen or David Backus, do you think either of those guys could be in this conversation? I mean, Alex Steen has to be in the conversation. He played 765 games. He played more than Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, I mean, he has to be in the conversation. And he spent, I think it was more than eight seasons, if I'm not. It wasn't 10 seasons, but he spent a long time here in St. Louis. He was traded for... Yeah, I think Alexander Steen absolutely. 12 seasons in St. Louis. 12 seasons. Wow, I thought it was like nine. That's incredible. I I think he absolutely should be in that conversation. And if his numbers, here's the thing too, like it's not not something that they just throw around like Montreal or Toronto throws around. And look, those teams have had a lot of Hall of Famers, but like it's tough to be in that list. And Curbs and I talked about this on post game. Like it's kind of a description of what blues history has been. When you look at the inception of the franchise with Bobby and Barkley Plager going all the way through the early two thousands with Chris Pronger. So when you tell the story though, of post lockout up until when they won the Stanley cup, 
I think you're telling the story of either Alexander Steen, who was a part of that culture when they acquired him from Toronto, or you're talking about Petrangelo and Tarasenko and David Backus, who continued that culture. So it's going to be one of those four. I just don't know if they're going to have have the list of being retired at Enterprise Center, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's kind of where I, I lean. And Bagus is the interesting case. I think we talked about when he signed the one-day deal and retired as a Blue was. He was that transition guy for the Blues. He was the captain, built that culture. As you mentioned with Ken Hitchcock, they go to the playoffs. They never get past, I think it was the second or maybe it was the conference finals when he was here. And then he leaves Steen. What stinks for Steen is, yeah, he was a great player for the Blues. He gets He's all part of that cup team, but he's part of like a fourth line. And, and I think as much as we talk about here in St. Louis and how great that fourth line was, I think that diminishes it just a little it's bit. Fifth all him. time in Blues history in points. Yeah. He, he's up there. If you look at some of the numbers that he put up here in St. Louis, I mean, Vladdy's probably going to pass him at some point this year um, based on the pace that he's currently at. Vladdy could finish most likely fifth or even fourth, depending on how long he stays in points while he's been a blue Steen is ninth in goals scored in his time in St. Louis. I mean, he's the numbers make a pretty good argument for Alex Steen to be, have his number retired. The problem is the guys that get their number retired here in St. Louis are hockey hall of famers, or they've had a massive impact on the franchise. Like for, a Bobby a and Barkley yeah. plager. I mean, Here's the thing that people don't understand. would probably have to come back as either a coach or a front office member yeah. for him to be able to be in this conversation you know, as a contributor almost. Something that people don't re- realize about Alexander Steen, you know, from his draft year in 2002, a draft year that included uh, Rick Nash, Duncan Keith, Jay Bomeister, Scotty Upshaw. You know, he ranks third among all-time players from that year drafted in points. Interesting. I, I mean, he. I mean, he. He's not a Hall of Famer, right? No, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough to sit there and look at it and say he's a Hall of Famer. But the season and career he had in St. Louis, I mean, if there was one person that I would say is close to it, it would be Alexander Steen. Yeah. Maybe that's the one. Instead of it might be Steen talking about Petro or Vladdy, it might be Steen as the guy that ends up getting more conversations think about, it. about that. He was acquired by the Blues. So it was 2006? It was nine. Nine? Yeah, 2009 was the year that he was acquired I, by the Blues. I mean, so the Blues in 2005 through nine traded away Chris Pronger. Alex Mc, Al McKenna's left. Keith Kachuk was the guy there. Honestly, Keith Kachuk's name's in that conversation as well that should be retired. Because he's going to be a Hockey Hall of Famer. But here's the thing. So many great players wore the number seven for the Blues. Gary Unger, Red Berenson, Pat Maroon. Like, that's a number that I think you just retire the number rather than the player. But once once you go past Keith Kachuk, you start talking about Alexander Steen. Because Alexander Steen was there when David Backus came in. And Steen's culture was taken over from Keith Kachuk. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, there's a new rivalry that could emerge among quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's starting to heat up this week, and I am here for it. We'll tell you what that is coming up at 12:15. But next, one defenseman standing above the rest as a potential trade candidate for the Blues. We'll tell you who it is and what it might take to acquire him coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't think you can go into the post uh, trade deadline 
with a, a lineup that you're saying is a work in progress on the back end. So, you know, I think we've seen enough of the season. I think we've seen enough of the top six or seven guys, who they are, what they can do. And if you add a guy at the top like Chikrin, it has that trickle-down effect where maybe Nico Mikula is in your third pair now and you're getting that kind of play out of a third-pair guy. So to me, I think Doug Armstrong definitely would add if that uh, possibility were available. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us a couple of weeks ago talking about what the what the trade deadline could hold for the Blues alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kiley. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters, including the rivalry that could emerge this weekend in the NFL. Guys, as I looked on The Athletic earlier today, they put out their big board for the best players that could become available at the trade deadline. Three, excuse me, four of the top five players on this list were defensemen. This could end up working out really well for the Blues in terms of who is available, but it gets a little bit more difficult as you look into who these players are and what it could take to acquire them. So Jacob Chikrin, of course, the guy that we've talked so much about, he's at number one on this list. The next best defenseman on the list is John Klinberg, who is a defenseman for the Dallas Stars. The problem there, Alex, he's more offensive-minded than defensive-minded, and the Blues don't really need that right now. And he's a right-handed defenseman, which, I mean, you're back into the Petrangelo-Falk-Pareko conversation. The next two are the guys that we've talked about for God only knows how much time over the last few months, really. Mark Giordano and Ben Sherratt, the two defensemen that both play the left side, Sherratt with Montreal, Mark Giordano previously with Calgary, now with Seattle. Alex, as I kind of have had some time to really sit back and think about what this Blues team needs and what it really is going to require defense-wise for them to be able to go to the Cup, I think I've settled on the fact that Mark Giordano is the guy for this team to trade for at the deadline. And I was working around with it over on the trade machine earlier today. They can make it work cap-wise. It's not going to be easy, but the way they can make make it work cap-wise is trade Marco Scandella, and have the Seattle Kraken take on 50% of Mark Giordano's remaining salary for the rest of the season. And that works money-wise. So money-wise is basically one-for-one Scandella for Giordano if Seattle is willing to take on 50% of his contract, which is the most that they are allowed to do. Because they're doing that, and because you're sending back Scandella, it's going to cost you more. So you'd probably have to trade a first-round pick to be able to make something like this happen. Is that something you're willing to do? Because I think Giordano's the best fit. Would you be willing to give that up for a player who could come in here right away and is really good defensively? He's been a captain in his history. He's great leadership-wise. And it seems like he would fit in seamlessly on that top pair with Colton Pareko. So what was that proposal again? A first-round pick? First-round pick in Scandella going to Seattle for Giordano. And they take on 50% of the contracts to be able to make the money work for the Blues. And they would be basically right at the cap at that point. They had no room for, no margin for error, really. I absolutely would do that. I think Mark Giordano has become the the gotta-get type of player for the Blues. Because Chikrin's going to cost you too much. And I just don't know if you need a Jacob Chikrin two, three years from now at that hit when you have a Nico Mikola who could play in your top four. And you have Krug and Falk who are producing offensively for you. And then from there, like... I like Ben Sherratt, but Ben Sherratt's numbers don't look pretty right now. And he's on a bad team, which I understand. 
but like you're the number one guy on a bad team. Like Mark Giordano's on a bad team. And at least his numbers look a little bit better than that. So I think Mark Giordano matches the Blues' identity. I mean, he played for the Calgary Flames for the longest time, so he knows how to play a physical brand of hockey because he's from the Western Conference. Heck, he still plays in the Western Conference. You're three, four years removed from him being a Norris Trophy winner with the Calgary Flames. He's got some offensive upside, but what I like about Mark Giordano is, one, he's big, six foot one, 200 pounds. He's got some nastiness to him, but he's been a leader. And I think when you put a guy into a culture like the Blues have, you want somebody who understands their role rather than somebody who is coming in and is trying to figure out how he meshes. Mark Giordano knows how he needs to mesh into a locker room. He just needs to be another voice for that team, the player that they need him to be. He's a guy who eats 20 minutes a night. He could play on your third pair. He could play on your first pair, penalty kill, power play if you need him there. I think Mark Giordano is the best option for you. A first-round draft pick is pretty steep for a 38-year-old. But if that's the only way you can get him and you truly feel like he is going to set you above the rest in the Western Conference, you have to go get it. So some of the advanced numbers have really turned me off from Ben Chirot this year. He has been awful for Montreal. And I understand he's playing for a really bad team right now. Man, that, that happened quick for Montreal. They, they were in the Stanley Cup. And then it's just over like that overnight for them. But they did just beat Dallas last night and Arizona a couple of nights ago. So they're not too bad. Arizona's not a real team. Whoa. Um, Whoa. That's like the Pittsburgh of the NHL. If you beat them, did it really happen? God. We're not really sure. But oh God. Ben Sherratt's season has been so poor for them. I, I'm not sure that that's the guy that I'm all that interested in. Meanwhile, Mark Giordano, I understand he plays for a really bad team, but he's been pretty clearly their best defenseman so far this year. When you take into account when he is playing, a lot of defensive zone situations, and the way that his, his advanced numbers are, he's been a really good defensively for them, uh, despite playing for a really poor team. And that's that's more what I'm going to be looking for from the Blues and who they acquire than somebody that's going to go out and put up a bunch of points for them. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at this like, again, he won the Norris Trophy back in the 2018-2019 season when he was 35 years old. Like, it's rare for guys like other than Nicholas Lidstrom to win that trophy when you're older. But then the next year, he wins a leadership award with the Calgary Flames. He has been in the playoffs, but he has not been in the playoffs as much as you would hope he'd be in the playoffs because he was a part of a Calgary Flames team that was kind of in a weird trend. He's physical. He he blocked shots. Look at the numbers of him blocking shots. This season, it's dropped, but last year in 56 games, he blocked 110 shots. He's good with the puck. He's got some offensive upside to him, but he can play 23, 24 minutes a night. And if you add that to a Pareko, to a Krug, to a Falk, to a Mikola, I mean, frankly, I just it's hard to look at that team and say there's there's a weak spot. Because Mark Giordano makes you a tougher team in your own zone. So as I was looking over on The Athletic, Pierre Lebron wrote up about some of the other potential free agents that could be available at the trade deadline on the defensive side of things. And there, there's a bunch of them. So I looked through last night, Alex. I did some of my homework. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Finally did some data. Wh- which one of these players could actually be of interest for the Blues? So I've got a little quick game, very quick abbreviated game of could I interest you in? Could I interest you in Justin Braun? Hit the music, T-Bone. Okay. (laughs) Could I interest you in Justin Braun, a defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers, who if you look over on his athletic card, he basically does nothing well other than defense. Sounds great for us. He's a really good defensive defenseman. The problem with all of the guys that I'm about to tell you is all of them play on the right side technically, but maybe you could make it work. Um, But that's unfortunately where all of these guys that are going to be available play. 
He's been pretty darn good for the Flyers this season. You look at some of the advanced numbers, they they look pretty bright on him. He's played a ton of minutes at five on five, and he's held up pretty well. Is Justin Braun a guy that you would be interested in for the Blues at the deadline? I don't think so. I don't think he makes you that much better of a By the way, he makes $1 million this year, so this would be a basically nothing when it comes to what the salary is that you're taking on. I just don't know if he makes you that much better, and he's a free agent after this year, right? So you don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. him. All of these guys that I'm about to tell you are free agents at the end of the year. I I don't think I would do this still. I mean, look, he's got playoff experience, one with Philly and then um, a lot with the San Jose Sharks. He played with the Sharks when they took on the Blues in the Western Conference Final. Um, the fact that he's a right-sided defenseman and the fact that he is going to strictly be a third-pairing guy, I just think I'm out on here because the difference is he's probably going to be playing over a Robert Bortuzzo, and I think Bortuzzo has to be in your lineup for how he performs. You're looking for somebody who can spell Marco Scandella. If he can play on the left side, that's great, but we've seen in the past when you have righties on the left, it just doesn't work well. Let's assume all of these guys have the potential to play on the left. Otherwise, you're going to just nix all of them immediately no, I, based I mean, upon there's that. There's a couple of names on here that I wouldn't nix. It's okay. just Justin Braun. I think he's a he's a one-trick pony. Totally he's a third-pairing guy who will do penalty kill and five-on-five five for you, and frankly, that's Robert Portuzo, so it's not an upgrade. Fair. Colin Miller is the next one. Defenseman, 6'1", 200 pounds, plays in the top four for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, if you look at what he's been this year, he's third in the terms of the time on the ice that he has spent for the Sabres this season. Corsi rating is is solid. It's as good as you're going to find on a, a bad team like Buffalo. Do you have any interest in Colin Miller, another right-handed defenseman, but has a little bit more offensive upside and is pretty darn good defensively for them so far this year. If you're looking at what the contract is, he's making about $3.8 million. So about $2 million, what you take on for the rest of the year, very similar to the Scandella contract. I like this one. Um, This is a guy who played with Vegas in their expansion year. And then the year after that with them, he played with the Boston Bruins he knows how to play physically. He's only 29 years old, too. Like, that's something people can't overlook here. Like, Justin Braun was 34, mm-hmm. I think. He's a little bit older. He's been with the Buffalo Sabres, so I'm sure he's hoping to get out of Buffalo right now. But the fact that he's familiar with the Western Conference, the fact that he has been a part of some really good teams, he played with David Perron, and he brings a physical brand. I remember him with Vegas. He sucks to play against because he's not afraid to cross Jackie in the face if he has to. I think he matches what you would want. And I think he and Robert Bortuzzo would be a deadly pairing on your third pair. He wouldn't be a guy who'd play in your top four. So I'd give Mark Giordano the the advantage here. But if I can't get Giordano or Sherrod or Chikrin, I like the idea of a Colin Miller. So this is maybe my favorite one. I don't know that he's going to be available, though. I want to say that on the front end because I'm not sure if this team's going to be a seller this year. But the Anaheim Ducks have a player on the back end right now by the name of Josh Manson. He is 30 years old. He's 6'3", 220 pounds. So he's got that size that you're looking for. He's been really good for them defensively so far this year. He's in their top pairing defensively, and 40% of his uh, uh, offensive or 40% of his starts are coming in the offensive zone. So he is kind of like Colton Pareko in that he is their defensive shutdown guy. He's in that defensive pairing for them. And so far this year, he's been their best guy defensively. He's got a Corsi rating that's up above 50%, which is what you're looking for, for a guy that's still starting in his own zone so often. Josh Manson's a really interesting player. I don't know that he's going to be available. He is a little bit more expensive. He's $4 million this season, so you'd have to have Anaheim take on a little bit of that salary and you'd send them back Marco Scandella. But he's probably the best player of the three that I've mentioned so far. Do you have any interest in Josh Manson of the Anaheim Ducks? Yeah, here's the thing with Manson, too. I mean, he's going to be really expensive 
because Anaheim's not just going to trade him away if they feel like they have an opportunity for the playoffs. And if you're going to have to give up Marco Scandella, they're not going to want to take on that contract for the next couple of years. So he'd be expensive for you. This was a guy, remember, last year I brought up saying the Blues should go after this guy because he was in the conversation, Anaheim looking to move him because Anaheim wasn't playing any well and they didn't move him. Josh Manson's a really tough customer in front of his own net. He moves the puck well. He's been a part of a, a good team. I would love the idea of this, but this is strictly a rental because you're not re-signing him because he's going to get paid. Absolutely. And if I'm going to have to give up a lot to get him, I think this would take more than a first-round pick in Marco Scandella. I think you're talking Jacob Chikrin type of deal. Maybe really? Not, not Jacob Chikrin because Chikrin's going to get an elite player. But I think you're talking probably a first and a really good prospect, like a first and a Perunovic or a Neighbors to get him. That's too much for me. So I'm, I'm out on Josh Manson here. So it all comes back to the reason why I wanted to bring these up. Cause these are the other names that are going to be I out give there you one that you didn't mention Josh Giordano or excuse me. Uh, Giordano is the, the only yeah. guy that really makes sense to me. Mark Giordano. He, he's probably going to be the one that ends up making the most sense for the blues. Who is yours that you would throw? So in here? I don't think he was on this draft board, but Elliot Friedman on his 32 thoughts, put it out earlier today that he wonders what this team's going to do with him. Philadelphia. He's got a 5.4 contract hit this year. Not interested. De- terrible defensively. Absolutely terrible. But he's six foot four, two hundred twenty-one pounds. Oh, I'm interested. Rasmus Ristolainen. Ristolainen. Yeah. Not interested. Not interested at all. His numbers this year are atrocious. One of the worst defensive defensemen in the league this year. I'm just saying. I want him on goon. He's big. Six foot four. It, Guys, he you you have him, but with more upside potentially in Nico Mikola. Guys, can we uh? Can we like all come to a conclusion together as a group that like we need to get Chickering? No, okay. Jamie, Jamie Alexiak should be a real possibility here. <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario like, and Tanner Hendrickson. Why can't we get him? I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, what is the single thing that you are most confident in for the Cardinals in 2022? And I'm eliminating defense as an option for oh, you. We'll get to that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, some NFL quick hitters, including the Eagles have decided Jalen Hurts is their quarterback of the future. Really? talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, we're talking about this a little bit during the break. This is going to be an awesome divisional round. We basically punted on Wild Card Weekend with what the NFL called Super Wild Card Weekend. I called it Super Sleepy. I called Wild it, Card Weekend. I called it Pooper Weekend. Super Poop. It rhymes. Come on, guys. Like it was, it was poop. It's bad. The divisional round's going to be awesome, though. Come on. And we've got four games that are all within a touchdown when it comes to what the spread is. The Titans are a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Packers are a six-point favorite. Ty- uh, the Bucks right now are a three-point favorite. Chiefs, in some places, are down to a one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Bills. And that's where I want to start, Alex. I am seeing a lot of people that are picking the Bills to win, and most of the rationale is because the Bills, in some people's mind, have the advantage at quarterback. I didn't expect to be reading that. So I guess here's my question to you. What is there to gain for Josh Allen in this one? If he outperforms Patrick Mahomes on Sunday and the Bills are able to beat the Chiefs, what does that do for Josh Allen in the way that we view him as a quarterback right now? I think it does. uh, It's the Patrick Mahomes effect. It turns him into what Patrick Mahomes was the year he won the Super Bowl, where everyone was talking about him as the guy. And I think a victory, not just 
over Patrick Mahomes, but a, a victory in this round where everyone looks at Josh Allen as well. He's good, but he can't get over the hump, right? I mean, this is about the time that Josh Allen, Josh Allen's the, the playoffs. If he's he does able, this week what we saw from Kyler Murray last week. That exactly. Kind of and that's why I'm out on Kyler Murray. But, I mean, if Josh Allen is able to do this, it becomes no longer the Patrick Mahomes-Lamar Jackson conversation, and the AFC turns into the Josh Allen-Patrick Mahomes conversation. And I'm putting him in that order for a reason. It's Josh Allen, then Patrick Mahomes if you beat the if you beat them in this week. Yeah, the AFC becomes a two-team race for years to come between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes because, like you said, he hasn't gotten over the hump in the playoffs. If he's able to take down Patrick Mahomes, then it, it starts to kind of turn the narrative because he beat him earlier this year. Maybe people will start to lean towards Buffalo over Kansas City. I still wouldn't lean that route based on the weapons that the Chiefs have, but it's going to be something that Josh Allen, he wins this weekend. We're talking about the Bills being that team probably that we look at as favorites for years to come right up there with Kansas City. I mean, am I crazy with this? I mean, Josh Allen becomes the Peyton Manning as Patrick Mahomes is the Tom Brady. I mean, there's an argument to be made there for sure, and I would say this, the one weakness that I see in Josh Allen's game thus far, the one criticism that I've had from him is that when the games get the biggest, he starts to shrink. You see him in the playoffs against the Texans and he's throwing the ball all around the way that uh, Kyler Murray did last week. I, I just don't trust him when it comes to the big games. And then in the biggest of games for the Bills against their biggest rival, he had a literal perfect game. Like he he basically was a starting pitcher that threw a perfect game against his biggest rival. That's damn near impossible. And for him to do that against the greatest defensive mind of our generation I've got to rethink how I feel about Josh Allen. And if he's able to do it again against the Chiefs, the team that came into the season as the clear-cut no-doubt favorite, the team whose defense has been playing really well since week seven, they are the best defense in the league when it comes to points per game allowed. He's able to do it again. Not perfect, but is able to overcome this Chiefs defense. Man, I've got to start talking about Josh Allen differently. And at that point, you want to talk about him in the same conversation with Mahomes and Rodgers and whoever else you want to put into that top five? Yeah. It's all fair and valid because this is the one Achilles heel that I had for him before this year. He could completely turn that narrative if he's able to do it on Sunday night. Are you going through a table again, Ferrario? Is Bill's Mafia to, for the game or no? Oh, my God. Do you guys want me to? <laughs> That'd be great, I'll get a better actually. table this time because that table I tried last time took three did times. not work. Uh, was it three or was it I, four? I think we should post oh, that video again three. on social media just it really because I hurt. loved it so much. All right. Next thing up. The Tennessee Titans, I saw a piece earlier today. You know those fancy, nerdy numbers, Alex, that I love so much? Yeah, you're way too into those. Well, one of them is DVOA in the what? NFL. Is it like peak? Is it like peak? It's basically peak war? war, but for teams. And it, it power ranks essentially the teams based on every play of every game. Based on that specific metric, according to Football Outsiders, the Titans are the worst number one seed in the history of the NFL. What? We are wow. disrespecting this team in a way that I think is completely unfair. I'm going to be picking the Titans on Saturday to beat the Bengals, and I think they do so by about a touchdown. I think they cover this spread of three and a half points. Why do we view them in a light that seemingly like the Bengals were not a great team this year? They were good. They were really fun down the stretch. They were not great. Why don't we give the Titans the respect that they deserve? I really don't know. The only thing I can go off of is what people saw recently without Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Because the second half of the season, the Titans were winning nail biters or they were going into overtime or they were losing and people were like, oh, this isn't the same team. But you took the three best weapons away from Ryan Tannehill and gave him nothing to work with. 
I mean, who's there? Deontay Foreman? Was yeah. that their guy? Like, you used him. And he actually played kid. pretty well. That's what I'm saying. Like, the guys that stepped into those roles actually performed adequately for the Tennessee Titans as the number one guys. Now imagine when they're not the number one guys. Defense was always a concern for me with Tennessee. When you when you took out what we've seen from the last couple of years, the, the name recognition just isn't there like it's been in the past for Tennessee's defense. But whatever it may be, they were still top half of the league in the regular season. So I don't understand the disrespect for them. I still view them as a number one seed. I think Cincinnati can pull off an upset. But if Derrick Henry is any shades of himself and you have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, and Ryan Tannehill with those weapons, I don't really see how a team is going to easily walk away with a victory against Tennessee. I don't understand why we disrespect a team that in a stretch of five games beat Buffalo, beat Kansas City, went on the road and beat Indianapolis, went on the road and beat the Rams, and then beat New Orleans. That's a five-game stretch without any other games in between, without a bye week or anything, five straight weeks beat Buffalo, KC, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, and New Orleans. That's the best five-game streak by any team all season long. And I said before that, if they're able to to take care of business in this stretch, I've got to start believing in the Titans. Because before then, I wasn't a believer because of what happened with them against the Jets. Well, they took care of business, and now I'm not going to take them lightly as a result. They had Derrick Henry on the shelf for those last two games, against New Orleans and against the Rams. They were still able to take care of business in those games. Deontay Foreman has played pretty darn well. If you're able to have a one-two punch in this one against the Bengals with Henry looking even 70, 80% of himself, they're, in my opinion, the favorite clearly against the Bengals. I just think they're a better team than Cincinnati right now. I think it's going to be closer than a touchdown. I think maybe that Cincinnati covers and part of it is because of the defense. And I think that is the biggest thing for why we overlooked this Titans team. They're good against the run, but passing their 26th, if what I'm looking at here is correct, 25th, 26th, they're bottom of the league in passing yards. So that's that's going to be the biggest thing for me. And knowing that Joe Burrow and you've got Higgins there as well and Chase, I just feel like that's going to be the defining point of this game. I don't know if Cincinnati can stop Tennessee enough with Derrick Henry back. But I could see why people look at it, maybe not so much as the most overrated number one seed, but why they could look at them as being a team that could be knocked out in this game this coming weekend. Final thing here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Earlier today, Howie Roseman, the general manager for the Philadelphia Eagles, spoke to the media that the the usual year in review meeting with the media press conference. And he was asked about Jalen Hurts and all set up with the question that he was asked specifically, Howie is Jalen Hurts your quarterback going into 2022? Yes, I think for us, um, we got to. Yes, I think for us, um, we got to do whatever we can to continue to help him develop. And how do we do that? By surrounding him with really good players. Um, players continue to grow. That's a huge part of developing. Uh, they grow how they are in their second year is not how they're going to be in year four, five, six, and seven. And they're also products of the people around them. So that's on us to continue to build this team. I don't believe you. I thought I had that I on loop for a second. I think he is lying to our faces. Did you just do a run, Burgundy? I don't believe anything I that he just said. You. Do you believe Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Eagles, that their quarterback of the future is Jalen Hurts? Absolutely, I don't believe this guy. Of course he's going to say this because every other team that would have heard him say, God, no, Jalen Hurts is our starting quarterback. They'd be like, oh, all right, well, let's see what you're willing to ante up with this trade. 
now. I mean, he's not showing his hand. What else would you do here? There's no honest way that he can look at Jalen Hurts after that performance in the playoffs and say, yeah, he's our number one guy. You can't make the argument if we got to build around him. You've built the team around him. You drafted Devontae Smith. You've paid the money for your defense. You brought in the offense. This is your team. Jalen Hurts is not the guy. Jalen Hurts will not be the guy I call automatic BS with that. Unless Nick Sirianni is trying to flower or water that flower, then maybe. Uh, even then, I don't know if he could water that flower. So I don't no. think it's going to grow. There's not yeah. enough fertilizer yeah. in the world. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, Jalen Hurts is not like the same level as a Taylor Heineke. I, I mean, that's Whoa. basically Whoa. where I'm putting okay. Oh, sorry. That's that disrespectful. Was, sorry. Unbelievable, man. I, I just don't view him as a quarterback. I, I think, like you said, Alex, Philadelphia, they're not going to tip their hand. This is kind of, oh, how's this one? This is kind of the Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. Yes. Yeah? Okay. Don't believe anything. Oh, sorry. Don't believe anything you hear from NFL general managers over the next three months. From now until the end of the NFL drafts, just assume everything you hear is a lie. Right, and that's great. that's the way that I would operate if I was Why a Why does everybody lie fan. to us? It's it's very frustrating. Don't Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The junk drawer in about 15 minutes or so. Next. If you said there was one thing you're most confident about for the Cardinals in 2022, one aspect of their game that you're most confident in, what is it? And I'm eliminating defense as a possible answer. We'll tell you ours next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So there's a lot of things that we have questions about for the Cardinals going into 2022. What are you confident in? I think the most common response to that would be they're going to be excellent defensively. This Cardinals team should be really good once again on the defensive side. But what else do you have where you would stamp your approval right now and say, I don't know what's going to happen in 2022 for the Cardinals, but I know this is going to go well for them. Alex, what are you most confident in for the Cardinals other than their defense in 2022? Nothing, because that was about it. No, that's not true. Uh, Honestly, more optimistic you'll live I know. Well, only in the hockey season. Um, There's a couple of areas that I'm actually pretty confident in going into this season. One is the bullpen, which might be a little off my rocker saying that, but... I saw signs towards the end of last season that they seemed to get the ship righted. And with the return of TJ McFarland, with the advancement of some of these players and hopefully the health of some of these guys, and if they go out there and find themselves another big arm, I'm looking at that bullpen thinking, you know what, that is the most confident area I am going into this season. Despite injuries, they have a lot of weapons. The other one, and I know T-Bone, we talked about it in the break a little bit, and we've seen, I've seen a lot of text lines uh, coming on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I'm very confident in their ability to run the bases. Now with Skip Schumacher and without the, and I don't know this to be true, but without the, I would imagine, Mike Schilt factor of not wanting to risk it, it seems like Ali Marmol is going to be willing to do that, especially with Skip Schumacher and the speed that this team has with two of the fastest guys in the game and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. I'm very confident in this team's ability to steal bases and run the bases this season. 
So I agree with your bullpen one. That was one that I had on my list. As I feel pretty confident in what this bullpen is going to be this year. Grant, I said that last year, and then they only had three guys. But I actually do believe you've got Gallegos Cabrera. I believe in Whitley. I think Ryan Helsley will have a little bit of a bounce back year compared to what he had. I think Alex Reyes will be fine coming out of the pen in mid-relief. Plus, I think they're going to go sign another bullpen arm as well, and I think that's going to add to this conversation. The other one for me, and I feel confident in this, and this is kind of a shot in the dark in confidence as well, is I, I feel confident in the young flux of talent that we're going to see come up through this team in this season. I believe in Juan Yepes. I think Lars Nupar, he's built momentum from the Arizona Fall League. I think he's going to have a, a not a bounce back year, excuse me, a breakout year for the Cardinals. Nolan Gorman's going to come up. I think we're going to see good contributions from Matthew Libertor. Plus some of these kids that they're high on that could be bullpen arms for him, like an Andre Payante and some of the others that are in the minor league system. So that's the second thing for me is I feel confident in the young flux of bats that are coming up through the system and the young arms that they have coming up. You guys have both made reference to it, and I'm going to go ahead and hone in on it. I think the bullpen is the number one thing that I'm confident in going into next year. And I know that we've talked a lot about, hey, they could use one more arm. That's really just adding adding to a strength in my mind, because you look at it right now, Tanner, you mentioned some of the names, Gallegos, Cabrera, Helsley. That's a really good back end of the pen for you right now. Whitley, Reyes, McFarland in those middle innings. That's a nice bridge that you can build there. They've got multiple, they've got multiple players that could be long relievers if needed in that situation. Swing guys, Woodford. If you want to bring Oviedo, uh, Oviedo up late in the year, I think Zach Thompson might fit into that role at some point this year for the Cardinals. We don't even know what Jordan Hicks's role is going to be for them. They've told him, hey, be ready to be a starter just in case we need you there. Maybe he's somebody that fits in more as a long reliever for them in 2022 than he has been in the past. That could be an interesting role for uh, for Hicks as well. And then, Tanner, you mentioned the young guys that are going to come up. I think that's another big reason why I'm looking forward to seeing what this bullpen can look like. Yesterday over on The Athletic, Katie Wu put together her top five under-the-radar prospects that could help the Cardinals in 2022. She mentioned Zach Thompson, who I do think could be a bullpen guy for you. She mentioned Jake Walsh, who last week Danny Mack said to us, watch out for this guy. He's somebody that could come onto the scene this year and be next year's Lars Newtbar. And then Freddie Pacheco is another one that she mentioned, along with your guy, Tanner. Andre Payante. Yeah, that's his name. That's four different players, maybe five if you add in Liberator as a potential player back there as well that could be coming up sometime this year to help you in the bullpen on top of the fact that we've all heard that they are interested in going out and acquiring another guy. I think the Cardinals could have one of the three to five best bullpens in baseball this year. Last year in the second half, they were eighth in Major League Baseball in ERA. They were behind only San Francisco, L.A., and Atlanta in the National League and ERA for the second half of the season last year. I think they could be right there with San Francisco and L.A. when you get to the postseason and who are the bullpens that you don't want to see. I think they could be very similar to that. And that's the thing that I am. If you're if you're selling me right now, you can say one thing and guarantee that it's going to be good this year. I think I would probably put my stamp of approval on their bullpen going into 2022. Is there any concern from anybody right now? Because none of us even mentioned the offense. It's the biggest question mark for this team. That that that's not a good thing. Like I understand starting pitching. Alex, in, Kyer, not Alex. Tanner kind of mentioned the offense when he said he's he's confident in the young kids. If you're confident in the kids, you're confident in Yepes and uh, Gorman and Brendan Donovan and Lars Newtbar. And if those guys are going to be good this year, the Cardinals are going to be fine offensively. Yeah, I just mean I I don't know if I'm as confident in that angle of this thing, and that's why it kind of is concerning to me because. 
If you're going into the season and we're this confident in their bullpen and you know their defense is going to be lights out, and honestly, the the concern of the rotation is there because you got to wonder if they're healthy. But if they're healthy, they're going to be up there. Mm-hmm. It, it all comes back to the offense for me, and I think that's what's keeping this team from being the Atlanta Braves, the L.A. Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, although San Francisco's not going to be there this year, but it's what's keeping them away, and I think if you were to head one piece, I mean, we're, we're not just talking about a team that could easily win the division. We're talking about a team who should be in the World Series conversations, but it's just missing that one piece. I, I will say this on the bullpen, that I do think that they, if they don't add that arm, when things open back up, and I'm not saying it has to be like a Kenley Jansen, but if they don't go adding just another arm to that pin, I will lose a little bit of confidence in it because that's part of my assumption is that Mo's going to go get someone like a Joe Kelly, a Tapera, a uh, Colin McHugh, someone like that to kind of replace Luis Garcia's role. I think if they don't do that, I'll lose a little bit of confidence. And I almost brought this up, not so much as I have 100% confidence in it, but I think we'll actually feel really good about the Cardinals starting pitching depth this season. Like I there's if, a real chance for that. Yeah. If they break, I don't think the floodgates will open like it did last year. If they deal with injuries, I don't think they're pitching breaks. I I'm think it's able to, vu. I know, <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, you got Oviedo getting more seasoning. Woodford looked really good. You've got Libertor. That's pretty much on the cusp. And if there's injuries, you have him. Plus you've got Reyes in the bullpen. So I feel a little bit better about the starting pitching. I'm not going to say I'm very confident, not a hundred percent confidence level at it, but I'm at like an 80 to 90% with it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've made a lot of references this year to the 2019 season for the Blues and how this team reminds us a lot of 2019. What are the biggest differences? And that doesn't mean they're bad. It could be a good thing that this team's a little different than 2019. We'll tell you what that is and how they compare to other recent champions coming up at the top of the hour. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. happened there but i think we're coming back now it's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 espn guys, Tanner, what, what do you have for us today my man oh, oh, wow. a lot of commercials playing at once guys Hey-o! we're gonna it wasn't me i don't know what happened it wasn't here. me do, 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 do. no it wasn't god me. again it kind of <laughs> pisses me off so much wrong song man got me red-handed wasn't me wasn't me do, 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 do. okay right. Anyways, just give us a gonna, damn junk drawer we're gonna go to the next great fun frontier i think that's what the what president the once said we're going to space boys for the junk drawer the world's first space hotel is set to open in 2027 i can't afford it but i'm excited what's the cost uh according to they didn't release a price for it but according to multiple reports and kind of guessing from all the other ones that have been planned and failed about two hundred fifty thousand dollars per person See, I have no interest in going to space, really. No, I've never really? had any interest no. in going in space. I like, I, I've had a lot of, I, I love traveling. I this love going traveling? to yeah, places that I can learn more about the culture and the food and everything that you could possibly do in other areas that are not named St. Louis or the Midwest, really, in general. I have zero interest in going to outer space. Maybe that call you could call me a pansy, call me whatever. I'm not interested in going to a place right, where pansy. I've got to eat stuff Jeez. that is uh, pansy. Yeah, not not interested, man. Not for me. Yeah, I've never been into space. I, I mean, I, for I know you haven't been to space. No, but. I've never been interested in space. <laughs> I, I've I didn't like that subject in high school. Oh, I've got interest in oh, it, like learning see, about I it. Never I, have. What's out there? What is bigger than us? Like I've got Something, interest in all of but that don't stuff. Don't really care whatever it is. Me I'll figure going it out. out there. Nah, I'll let other people deal with that. I Neil know. Armstrong, you can go do your thing. 
I find this to be so fascinating because one, I would love to do it just to be there and then kind of see Earth from the. You need that afternoon money, man. Yeah. Look at a damn picture. True. I need to look at a picture and see what Earth looks like from from outer space. But I want to experience it myself. But what I don't understand with this hotel—it's going to feel the same thing. What I don't understand with this hotel is somehow it's simulating gravity, which I'm not understanding that necessarily. That seems made up. That's good. And then the other thing is like BK said, the food up there. Surely they're not going to just hey, here's your little packet. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) here's your cube. What is it? The Martian? Is that the one with uh, Matt Damon where he's out in space and he's like doing all the growing? I thought you were talking about the guy from Bugs Bunny. (laughs) No. Um, it's probably similar to that, where they actually do have a place that you can go up there, where they had they have found a way to you basically have to do worry agriculture about, up there. You have to worry about bed bugs in space hotel. What is that? Your first thought when you go to a hotel is, does oh, this bed have bed bugs? Yeah, you've never been in a hotel with me before, which is a smart thing. But like the first do you do thing, like pest f- control when you get the there. Fir- oh, I do. The first thing I do when I go to a hotel that is the number one spot where you find bed bugs are in hotels because. So we're going. We're taking a, a a road trip with one another, not a real road trip, but we're going to Alton, Illinois, road trip, uh, road trip. for the for, for the first weekend of March Madness, and the three of us are going to be staying together in an Airbnb yeah, out examine, there. Examine our beds what, for us. What exactly no. can I? plan for you to do whatever well, we I've, arrive I've never, at this Airbnb. Well, I've never done the Airbnb. I would imagine this is a little different, but hotels don't clean the comforter. Like That's the one thing they don't do. They don't oh, wash been, those comforters. I've they just take Airbnb them off. Doesn't. They, they wash the sheets, put the sheets back on, put the comforter back on. So like it's always there. It's people's filth. So the first thing I do when I, when I walk into a hotel room is I rip the comforter off and bed bugs notoriously crawl along the like on the mattress, like on the um on the edges of the mattress and like when they bite there's little blood spots and they carry that blood and so you'd find little blood pieces on mattresses and then the other thing i do have you found them before oh yeah 100 percent. we went to memphis a couple of years ago katie and i to a concert and we walked in and there was a bed bug crawling along the mattress we're like we're out of here so you pull the comforter off never sleep with the comforter by the way they always tell you that and then the other thing i do is the bed frame like the the, the wood piece it lifts off and that's where they crawl. They crawl behind that thing. So you lift the mattress, the wood frame off, and you look behind it. Okay, this actually seems smart, but the, the way I picture I, Ferrario doing this is he goes in, checks in, and just tells Katie to park the car, and I'll be back in 30 no, minutes while do, I examine the what hotel. What we do yeah. is I walk in and I tell Katie, I said, don't put any of the suitcases on the ground. Put them on that little top piece. Let them sit there. Just stand where you're at. And I walk in and I fling the mattress off, throw it in the corner. Whips out his magnifying and glass. I, no, I don't do the ma- magnifying glass, but I just I check the sheet liner. I check the mattress liner. I lift the wood panel off, check it, and then we're good to go. Man, I'm all in. I oh, get in, God. I jump on the bed. I'm like, yeah, and, and, we, and we're here. I can only imagine what the, what the uh, what the bed bugs are like. Oh, here we go. No, this guy. <laughs> I can only imagine what like the, um, the, the 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 cleaning people. They come in and they check. And they like, you know, they make the bed when you leave for the day. And then the next day, the mattress is just ripped off apart and the, the comforter's on the floor again. But I've never had bed bugs. I've seen them. Never I haven't had either. Them. And I've never once even considered checking for bed bugs. That's what he Knock thinks. Knock on wood, but that's, um, what, that's what he thinks. He's probably like brought bed bugs back home with him. Somebody says, put your suitcase in the bathtub. That's yeah. the safest place for it. Bathtub what? or that, that piece that they have that you, you like. You set it up. Am I supposed to shower with it? I have have friends who like... What the hell am I supposed to do with my suitcase? If my suitcase has issues in a hotel, I I picked the wrong hotel, man. Well, that's very true. But I've been to some of the nicest ones and they've had them before. But my friend is notorious for when he goes to a hotel, he takes all of his clothes out of his suitcase and he puts them in the drawers. So what do you do for a comforter? It's got to be cold. We bring a blanket. 
You bring a blanket with yeah, you. You bring a blanket with you. And, and you bring could, your own pillow. You don't use your pillows too. If I'm traveling to like Miami or something, though, I'm not bringing a, a big blanket with me on the airplane. Oh, no, you could be really cutting on the suitcase, plane. dude. Yeah, I've got other stuff that I'm traveling with. Like I don't what? have enough you room. You got your 15 pairs of shoes to bring with you? Yeah, you know, I've got a shoe. I got a pair of shoes for every occasion. You got your high Depending heels on- for the the night out. Kara does. Look. Got your lotion. What's for your more hands? important, you looking, your feet looking good, or you coming home with bed bugs attached to you? Never happened before. Ain't never gonna happen oh, again. Just with call Alex me when you get them. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I hope Florida. so. I hope so. Coming no, up in 15 minutes. His, uh, I'm going to Orlando yeah, here in two weeks. He's going there to his uh, timeshare. Coming up in 15 Man, minutes, we'll bags. play a game of more likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. But next, what makes this Blues team different from 2019? Alex has a couple of numbers that are worth monitoring, and I'll tell you how they compare to other recent uh, champions in the NHL. Do that all coming up on here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So the Blues are getting a lot of comps right now to the 2019 team and for good reason, right? That was the last time, the only time that the Blues have won the Stanley Cup and the Blues right now look like a team that's on the trajectory where they could get back to that place once again. Alex, it's good to be compared to a team that won the Cup. However, there are some distinct differences between who the Blues are today and who they were back in 2019. In fact, there's not all that many similarities other than the fact that they've got the same coach, they've got the same goalie. I think otherwise, though, they play very differently right now than what they were as a team in 2019. What are some of the biggest differences in your mind from what we're watching today and what we saw from them when they won the cup? Well, the differences is one, you got to start on the defensive side. Uh, they don't have the long reach that they used to have with Bo Meester and Petrangelo and Pareko and Edmondson, Carl Gunnarsson. Uh, I mean, the smallest guy on your defensive side was Vince Dunn, who was standing at six foot. And, and now you got shorter guys, but you also play differently on the defensive side. You don't try and spend as much time in your own zone. It's more quick moves up the ice. I think Craig Berube said it the other day. Uh, their focus is speed through the neutral zone. And you have that by guys who, when the puck's on their stick, they just go. Pareko, Mikola, Krug, Falk. That's what those guys perform with. Um, the other difference is the fact that you have so many scoring options. I mean, for a time there during that cup run, you could only rely on Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and then the... Wow. Shin. To say it myself, Schwarzenko line. But th- those are the only guys you could rely on offensively. And then so the other guys start jumping in. The playoffs come, and then look what happens. Pat Maroon, Robert Thomas. The story unfolds itself there. That's different now. Ivan Barbashev's here. Kairos here. Thomas. Buchnevich. I mean, you've got so many guys who can score goals for you. And then the other distinct difference, in my opinion, and, and frankly, this is an advantage for this Blues in terms of a cup run, is special teams. I mean, it's widely known. Their penalty kill was good. Their power play was awful. It was one of the worst in the National Hockey League. It got better. And then in the playoffs, fans were opting out of power plays, hoping that the refs would just not let them go on the power play because they were either not scoring or they were giving up a shorthanded goal. Now, your penalty kill is top five in the National Hockey League. They might be seven or eight if they drop down these last couple of games. But the penalty kill just won you a game the other night by going 100% against the Nashville Predators. And on top of it, your power play is clicking. It's second or third best in the National Hockey League, was first for some time there. So if this is what you have on top of all of these other differences, 
Man, that's a dangerous team to have special teams. Yeah, the Blues are starting to look this season more similar to what the other recent champions have looked like. And what I mean by that is they are they are an offense-driven team. Oh, if you're looking at who they are right that. now, they're fifth in goals per game. They are ninth right now in goals allowed per game. Their special teams, as you said, have been excellent. Third in power play, sixth in pa- penalty kill. They look right now a lot like Tampa Bay did. The last couple of years, when you look at the comparisons of where they ranked in the National Hockey League, give me the date. I know you have it. Last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning were eighth in goals per game. This year, the Blues are fifth. Last year, in goals allowed per game, the Tampa Bay Lightning were sixth. The Blues right now are ninth. Last year, power play, Tampa Bay was ninth. The Blues are third. Last year, penalty kill, Tampa Bay was fourth. This Blues team is sixth. It's eerily similar. The way that the Blues are constructed, the way that they are winning right now to what we saw a year ago from the Tampa Bay Lightning, you are starting to resemble the modern winners of the Stanley Cup. You look back over the last five years or so, this is the way Tampa Bay won. This is the way that Pittsburgh won. This is the way that the late Chicago teams won with more offensive-driven teams. You're starting to resemble a more speed-centric, offense-centric approach that these other teams did. The 2019 Blues, in so many different ways, were the outlier from what's won the Cup over the last few years. The Tampa Bay Lightning were eighth in goals per game uh, offensively whenever they won the Cup in 2021. They were first in 2020. The Blues were 15th. In goals per game. And you I guarantee going, before the the second half of the season, they were probably 27th or 28th. You keep going back. Washington was ninth. Pittsburgh was first. Pittsburgh the year before that was third. The only team in the last six years that was not top 10 in goals per game to win the Stanley Cup was the St. Louis Blues in 2019. Right now, they're trending in the direction of being a top five scoring offense in the NHL. Uh, and then another f- thing that comes into play here is if you go back and look at 2018-2019 season, goals by period, and we talked about this a little yesterday, for the Blues, the second period was one of their worst periods. They scored 79 goals, and they allowed 76 goals. They were only a plus three. This season, they have the best plus goal differential in the second period, which always hurt them. Now, one area that I would like to see improve by this Blues team to try and get back to that cup mentality and it's flip-flopped because the Blues are awesome on home ice they're 500 on road you got to be better on the road if you want to win the Stanley Cup this season and that's why this Blues team was so dangerous because the Winnipeg Jets series they lost two straight games at home and then they win the series in five against the Winnipeg Jets you lost in Dallas in game six allowed Dallas back in you won on home ice in game seven and double overtime you got to get back to being just as good on the road as you are on home ice because that's how you make that 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 puzzle fit together to where special teams is clicking, offense is clicking, defense is getting there, goaltending is solid. But if you can be a team as similar on home ice as you are on the road, you're talking about a team that's going to be number one in pretty much all of those categories. Yeah, you, you got to improve a little bit on the road, but... Being good on home ice once again is something that has been a real key for this team because you look back over the last, uh, especially last year, but really it's been a trend for the last couple of years now, and in particular once they got to the bubble, they just didn't really have a home ice advantage. And I think that we can now say, I think there was something to the notion that the Blues needed the crowd to get them going. And last year they were 12, 11, and 5 at home. They were 15, 9, and 4 on the road. This year, it, it, it as you said, Alex, has just completely reversed in terms of that trend. 16-4-2 at home. They're 7-7-3 seven, seven, on the road. You get that going a little bit on the road. You don't need to be great there. No. To be a little bit above 500, and you continue to dominate on home ice, 
That's the way you go about winning a cup. But if you're going to be that team, you better get home ice advantage. Yeah, you know, you that, be that's, second. that's the thing is you, you got to stay in the top two in this division to be able to continue winning this way. And then if you can just steal a game here or there on the road in the postseason, that's the way you're able to get this thing done. Yeah, because think about it. That year that they won the cup, they were the road dog every single year and it was their or every single series and it was, was their, their advantage. Yep. But now if you don't get second place in the division, which I mean, look, you took down Nashville and, and I mean, games, you just have to win the central division games to get that. But if you don't get that, you're going to be the road dog in at least the first two rounds. And that's an area that you need to be a little bit more pristine at. And luckily they got this three game road trip that they can focus on. The reason why I think this is so critical when you look at the way that the Blues are constructed and how it compares to what the recent champions looked like is because when you're Doug Armstrong, you're sitting back and we had the conversation earlier today of who do you go after? If you're looking at the defensemen and you're you're trying to go trying to decide, do we go all in? Do we kind of sit the fence and we, we stay in the middle? Maybe that's a Ben Sherratt type of a trade where you're getting a guy that you like. You're hoping that he plays better for you than he has so far this year for Montreal. Or do we just stand pat? What's the best path forward for this team? Well, when Doug Armstrong is trying to make those types of decisions, this is what he's going to be looking at. Yeah. He's going to say, well, how does this team compare to the other champions? And does this team have a real shot to be able to do that? The answer is yes, definitively, in every possible way. The only thing that they're not in the top six in right now is goals allowed per game. You've, you're not going to change your goalie. So that then comes back to, okay, if we can get one more solid defensive defenseman in here that plays on the left side and compare with Colton Pareko, or even if you just upgrade the third pairing, if you just upgrade from Marco Scandella, that's all you need, really. That, that's mm-hmm. all that remains if you're looking for, as you said, putting the pieces together for this puzzle. Man, you've got all your corner pieces ready to go right now. You're just looking for one more spot to be able to put one more piece in. And that's why I'm I'm kind of past the Jacob Chikrin conversation because I'm not going to do something that's going to jeopardize the chemistry in my locker room. you got a group of guys right now that never feels out of a hockey game. Down by two, down by three goals, they come back. I don't want to disrupt that by trading away a piece on that roster. What I want to do is I want to add to that roster because what Doug Armstrong did that season was talked to the leadership in the room that said, no, we feel like we could do something here. And they did it. If this team says we feel like we're good and you go out there and you get a complimentary piece like a Michael Delzato. But if that Michael Delzato is a guy who could play on your third pairing and can also be a guy who eats a lot of ice time, that's just a benefit for your team. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber coming up in about 15 minutes, but next six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen here on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. What's more likely to happen. They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text Locus line head. for more likely to happen. You give mm. us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start out with this one. Jordan Cairo finishes the season with 35 goals. Damn, now or, we're going 35? Or Ivan Barbashev finishes the season with 30 goals. Right now, Barbashev's on pace for 31. Jordan Cairo on pace for 29 as of right now. Uh, I'm going to go Barbashev's more likely here. I mean... 
he's everywhere right now. And if they're reuniting this Russian line, my God, I think that's where he was most effective for the team when he was on that Russian line. Buchnevich seems to be the playmaker on that roster, and Vladimir Tarasenko always gets the double coverage. Buchnevich is going to finish this season. If, if things continue with that line, I think Buchnevich is going to lead the team in points because of the n- number of assists that he could finish the year yeah, with. Yeah, because I think Kairou's numbers, although I don't know, Kairou played well with Thomas and Saad, yeah. but I, I mean, uh, I think that Russian line is going to be their most lethal line when together, but Barbashev's always in front of the net, man. He's on the penalty kill, so he gets shorthanded opportunities. He's going to be playing late game, so those empty net goals are going to be options for him, and then he's on the second power play unit, so I, I think Kairou, 35's asking a lot. Kairou might get there at some point, but this season, I'm going to say Barbashev's more likely. Yeah, I think I'm going to take the lower number. I think I'm going to go with Barbershev to 30 because, like you said, 35 is going to be tough. The depth of the scoring the Blues have, Kyra doesn't have to necessarily go for goals as much. So I think I'll take Barbie for 30 rather than Kyra at 35, even though I believe my boy will get there. I think I think Kyra has a real shot to get to 35 this year. He's at 14 right now through 35 games. I, I'm not predicting that it's going to happen, but out of these two, the more likely option I think is Kairu because you look at what his line is going to be with Thomas and Saad and those guys are going to find him and he they open up the spacing on the ice in a way that allows Jordan Kairu to just be a legit sniper so I, I think Kairu has a real chance to get to 35 this year I think Barbashev's going to end up with more more assists moving forward because of the line that he's on I, I think those guys that are around him are going to be able to score so I'm going to go Kairou as, as the bigger, better goal scorer. Kairou's problem is he plays with a puck hog, Brandon Saad. Oh, that guy. The puck, yeah, am ser- I right? He's seriously slowing it down. That th- this three-game goalless drought, that's on Saad. <laughs> he hasn't played with them for two of them. I still blame him. <laughs> Brandon Saad in his last five games has three assists. Hey! I never thought I would see the day. Hashtag BKO. Yeah, he's he's finally starting to share the puck, which is uh, great. It's been fun great to news. watch, and he's also standing in front of the net and just dominating I know. there. Uh, more likely to happen six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen: the Cubs sign Carlos Correa or Jack Flaherty makes it through the season healthy and is a legitimate Cy Young contender by the end of the year. Did you guys see Carlos Correa decided to change his agency yesterday? Apparently he's been looking for $330 million and his previous agent wasn't able to get it to him. So he's hoping that Scott Boris is going to be able to. Well, there goes the hope of him coming to the Cardinals. Scott Boris ain't happening. Hope hope before that. We had a little sliver of hope. I was like a 1% guy. Scott Boris loves the Cardinals. Yeah, He does? He played for the Cardinals in their minor league system. I believe B- T- BK T-Bone's mind just now <laughs> uh, I'm saying it's more likely Jack Flaherty makes it through the season healthy I, I don't see any scenario that Carlos Correa signs with the Cubs I don't know why the Cubs would commit that much money to a guy where they aren't going to be competing within the next five years at least I don't think they're going to be competing within the next five years if they sign Correa makes it a lot more likely because they got Correa and Stroman no way I don't know if their offense can hold up with just him adding to it plus the injury risk with a Carlos Correa uh, I'm going to say it's more likely Jack Flaherty makes it through the season healthy because if he makes it through the season healthy, I think you're going to be talking about him as a Cy Young candidate. Look, I hope Flaherty makes it through the season healthy, and I think he will, but I think it's more likely the Cubs will sign Carlos Correa. I do have some concerns with Flaherty coming off of the injuries. I believe the Cubs are actually going to pursue Carlos Correa. I don't think it makes sense for them to do it. I think they will. I think they'll add him and hope that they can kind of sneak into this conversation of the NL Central with Stroman leading your rotation. I think I'll say it's more likely the Cubbies sign Carlos Correa. 
I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty just because it costs nothing to be optimistic. Right, Alex? Isn't you're, that what, you're what damn the old right. saying and is? You live longer, you live according longer to Mike Schilt. Well. I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty. I have high hopes for what Jack Flaherty can be this year. So I'll side on that. Try side to have things. some more optimism, T-Bone, in your life. Damn. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. (laughs) More likely to make it to the Super Bowl out of the teams that are playing the number one seeds in their respective conferences this weekend. The Bengals or the 49ers? More likely to make it to the Super Bowl. The Bengals or the 49ers? I think it's the 49ers. Um, If the Bengals take down Tennessee... I don't see how they get through either of the teams that win between Kansas City and Buffalo. But if San Francisco knocks off Green Bay and Green Bay is everyone's favorite to win the Super Bowl, I, I I mean, they've already beaten the Rams if the Rams beat the Buccaneers. And honestly, I think that defense can eliminate the quote unquote weapons that Tom Brady has in Tampa. So San Francisco is the one I'm going to believe. More likely. Sorry. Thought it was Thursday. Oh, I can't wait for tomorrow, believe it or not. Uh, I, we'll see I'm if with I get you. it right. I, <laughs> Doubtful. I, I think I'll go 49ers, too. They're just playing really well right now. Jimmy G has looked good the last couple of weeks. They can run the ball defensively. If, now, if Bosa's out, he's listed as questionable still. If he's out, I think He'll that's play. a bit of a game difference or difference maker. But I, I'm with Alex. I think their defense, they can run. Jimmy G's playing well. I would say San Francisco. I just can't buy into the Cincinnati Bengals defense, and I think that's the big one for me. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. It's just so hard for me to believe. I, I'm, I've already said I'm taking the Titans to win this weekend straight up against the Bengals, so I, I don't think they're going to get past this weekend. I think the 49ers have a better chance out of those two to be able to advance. And then if the Bengals did win, if I'm just flat out wrong on that, which is possible, it's happened before, I, I see no way that they're going to be able to beat either the Bills or the Chiefs. I'm totally with you on that, Alex. I think there's absolutely a path for the 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl. They were the team. We, we asked kind of towards the end of the regular season, who's going to be the team that ends up sneaking into the playoffs? That is the classic nobody wants to play them squad. Well, it's the 49ers. And a big reason why is because Debo Samuel is an animal, man. If you're uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, like they... They said that he's been limited in practice this week because of those injuries that he's dealing he's with. He's always Again. limited. He's only got like five of them. I don't even know how much it matters because you get the ball out of his hands. Brandon Ayuk, he's liable to take it for a 40-yard score. You get it to Debo Samuel, either as a running back or as a receiver. He could do it from anywhere on the field. George Kittle had three targets last week and one reception any week, he can completely change a game and for you. And still got Elijah Mitchell, who is a really good running back He's for them. one of the better players that's remaining at running back this postseason. So I I think the 49ers are legit. And if they're able to take down the Packers, I think they could absolutely make it to the Super Bowl. Sing it with me, guys. Debo. Oh. Nobody get that reference. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> terrible, dude. 65780 is the I can't even be optimistic about that. Is the air comfort service text line. <laughs> For more likely to happen. More likely to happen, guys. We finish the season with Tommy Edmond as the Cardinals leadoff hitter or Harrison Bader as the Cardinals leadoff hitter. Should we let him answer first? Let let BK start it. Go ahead, BK. Ivan Barbashev's leading off for the Cardinals. He'd be good, actually. I think it is. Man, this is a really (laughs) tough one. I actually don't know. Oh, we're sitting on the fence today. Your daily hit with BK and Ferrario. Insert I think sponsor. sponsor name here. Yeah, whenever you'd like, fence companies. The biggest question that I have offensively for this team going into the season, honestly, is who's going to lead off for you? Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> well, that would be a good answer to the question. 
But you look at it like I, I feel really good about Paul Goldschmidt hitting second. I feel really good about Tyler O'Neill hitting third. I feel really good about Nolan Arenado hitting fourth. I feel really good about Yadier Molina hitting fifth. <laughs> that, that's not going to happen anymore. This new manager, no chance. No chance Yadier Molina is hitting fifth for you. I think oh, Dylan right. Carlson's going to be your, your five-hole hitter this year. Yikes. Yikes. Maybe Yadier can lead off. I don't know who's leading off for you. I do. It's Tommy Edman. That's the more likely one. I mean... What he did, what he did in the postseason, in my opinion, sold me on Tommy Edmond being the leadoff hitter. I don't know that this manager is going to have a guy that gets on base thirty percent of the time as your leadoff hitter. I think it's going to improve, though. I don't think it's going to be thirty percent of the time. That's why I go back to I go back to that one game wild card. He stepped up to the biggest moment, and it was against a righty and one of the best righties in the game. I. I in my opinion, Tommy Evan, by the end of this season, is going to change our mind on him being a leadoff hitter. That's where I am, too. I said when we did the, I don't remember, oh, who's the Car- Cardinals Barbashev? I said it could be Tommy Edmund. hitting leadoff. Yeah, nobody liked you. You had Paul DeYoung as the most important How player for the Blues. How is that so outrageous? Cardinals. And Cottaville Chris saved the text because I know you're going to say it, that <laughs> that's a bad idea. <laughs> It's like hitting Kyle Schwarber leadoff. I hey, mean, they're both hey, power hitters. Hey, is Kyle you know, Chris I don't even want to answer anymore. Hey, hey, it's Tommy Evans. No, hey, is like he getting Tommy to you? Evan. Is he getting to you, man? He is getting to me. You're okay. getting to me. I'm losing it, man. In all seriousness, <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt with... He probably would put Dylan Carlson two at uh, O'Neal three and Arenado four. It's not bad. It makes some sense. I could see the argument for it. Great. Now you put yourself in the firing squad, I, I'm too. I'm going to say it's more likely that... Harrison Bader is your leadoff hitter by the end of the Stick season. Stick to it, man. I, I say might it with as, chest. I, I might as well. If, I, if I'm going to say it, I might as well believe it. I'm going to go Harrison Bader is more likely to be your leadoff hitter at the end of the season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Somebody from the 314 says, there's BK hating on Tommy Edmund again. How did I become the guy that hates Tommy well, Edmund? You did just say he can't Tommy hit Edmund. major league hitting and you don't think he should be on this team. No, it's fair. the on-base percentage that's the issue. And that is an issue. But he did cop him to Ben Zobras and almost gave him like a 10-year deal last yeah, year was- in like June. I was more than happy to give him all of the money and all of the years. Yeah, but then you said he's not a good baseball player. I remember it, man. That never happened. It never happened. I, Nolan Gorman's going to be your six-hole hitter by the end of the year, by the way. Uh, 65780 you is the Air Comfort Evan. Service text line. How <laughs> get to that? Uh, for more likely <laughs> Plus he's hitting there. to happen. More likely to finish the year as the Cardinals starting shortstop. Edmundo Sosa, Paul DeYoung, or Trevor Story. Brendan Donovan, he's a second baseman. You know what? Throw uh, throw Tommy Edmond into this as well. Which Ooh. of those four is the most likely Ooh, to be the Cardinals sick. starting Someone's shortstop going into the playoffs? Someone's taking his role from the 11 o'clock hour and bringing it to the 1 o'clock hour. Dang there is up. a lot of context that is necessary for that. No, we'll leave it as is. Let it simmer. Um, just imagine. Edmond, DeYoung, Sosa, or Story most likely to be the Cardinals starting shortstop going into the playoffs. I don't like saying this, but it's going to be Paul DeYoung. Um, I think Edmunds, Edmundo Sosa is going to get the start this year because of what he did last season. I don't know if that's going to continue and it's going to fall off. And I think it's going to be more apparent. He is a bench player for this team. I don't see Tommy Edmund shifting over to short. I wish Trevor story would happen, but it's not going to happen. I just, I think from what we're hearing from everybody, you know, he's, he's what? 26 years old. He had that great year. He was an all-star. It didn't I think, hurt. I think they're going to give him every opportunity, and I think come playoff time, Paul DeYoung will be that guy. I, I agree it's not going to be story. I don't think they're going to shift Edmund over. I think their best-case scenario with him is he remains to play gold glove second base, and then you have Gorman DH. I agree with you that they're going to give it to Paul DeYoung to start. 
I think he's gonna lose it. I think it's good. I think it's more likely it's Edmundo Sosa. I think he can provide a spark. I don't know if he'll hit what he did this year, and we'll see what we saw from him. But he plays better defense, in my opinion, just using the eye test. And I just don't think Paul DeYoung's a major league hitter. I, I just can't see him have any kind of bounce back. Good so Lord, man. I'm going to go with Edmundo Sosa. What? I thought we were supposed that to be was, honest here. That was worse than BK saying <laughs> yeah. he hated Edmund. I'm going to say it's uh, Edmundo Sosa as well. I think he gives this team more energy. I, and I, I love the way that they played with him as their starting shortstop. I just think he's fearless. And as you go through the grind of your end of July and August, the dog days of the summer, I think he's the guy that I want starting every day at shortstop for me. I do think Tommy Edmond will get some starts at shortstop. I think the guy that is going to be playing there going into the postseason, though, will be Edmundo Sosa. He'll be your starting shortstop for this team. Coming up in 15 minutes, the BK and Ferrario rewind. Craig Berube gave his thoughts on the goalie situation in the future. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers. Offering everyday low prices, expert advice, and free delivery. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. We've been talking a lot about the Blues today, and earlier we went through some of the differences and the similarities between this team and the 2019 team that won the Cup. And really, more so than that even, the similarities between the Blues in 2022 and some of the other recent teams to win the Stanley Cup. And right now we're joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. I want to bring you in on this conversation what are the biggest differences that you've noticed so far between who the Blues were when they won the Cup back in 2019 and what you've seen from this version of the Blues in 2022? Well, I think that uh, this current version is a more offensively talented and more offensively skilled hockey team than uh, the 2019 team was. Um, and uh, I think that, to me, that's probably the biggest difference. I, I think they're because of that, they're deeper on the forward side uh, where I think the 2019 team had an edge on this current team was I think that 2019 team was a little more disciplined on the defensive side of the puck. So there's your trade-off right there for you, fellas. Sometimes when you, when you've got more skilled guys or you've got skilled players like Kyra and Thomas coming into their own more than they were in 2019, uh, they're going to try to make some moves. You're probably going to have some mistakes as a result of it. So it's a little bit of a give and take when you compare those two aspects of the game. Curbs, we talked about this on post game the other night after that victory against Nashville. We talked about just guys buying into different roles uh, rather than what they've been used to of being a top six forward. And Shen was on the fast lane yesterday and talked about, you know, he'll play wing, center, whatever this team wants, he's going to play it for them. If that mentality is already coming out of Braden Shen's mouth, you would imagine that mentality is in that locker room. And in my opinion, if that's the way they're going to go, this makes them even more of a dangerous team. Well, that, that's exactly right. That's going to be necessary. Does does Tyler Bozak fancy himself as a fourth-line player, or does he fancy himself as a guy that could still make a role in the top six or, or top nine? The one thing that you're going to see with this team is everybody's still going to get chances up and down the lineup depending on how the game on a nightly basis progresses. If you're Braden Shen and you want to be playing top six minutes, that's going to be on the wing right now because you're not going to you supplant Ryan O'Reilly and you're not going to supplant Robert Thomas, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, 
And to me, if now, at the same time, you put Braden Shen back at center, and Braden Shen has an opportunity to be on what could be a top line any given night because, like the last game we saw, the other team might have keyed in really well on Kairou Thomas and Tarasenko and slowed them down a little bit. That allowed the O'Reilly line to take on. You know, so if you kind of go with where the Blues are going and where they're leaning right now, they've got so much flexibility. And a lot of times on defensive draws, you're going to put two centermen on the ice as well. So if one guy kicks out, for example, if Ryan O'Reilly gets kicked out and it's Braden Shen on the left side, Braden Shen comes in to take the faceoff. You're in some really, really good shape with that. So I think the flexibility is there. But you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to that one, Alex. It's going to be guys playing in the role that's needed that will lead this team to win, not necessarily the role they feel they should play. And if that is accepted, this team becomes a really, really dangerous team top to bottom. Curbs, that we're finally seeing what this team looks like today out on the ice for the first time, really, at full strength. You've got the Shin O'Reilly Perron line, is what they had earlier today. They went back to the Russian line with Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko. And their third line is one that I, I absolutely loved with Saad, Thomas, and Tarasenko. Cairo. Uh, excuse me, Saad, Thomas, and Cairo. My apologies. What do you think of the way that they've constructed that top nine with what they have available to them right now and with Brown being the guy that's on the outside looking in? Well, and, and that's kind of the way it should be right now. I think they called up Logan Brown uh, with the need that they had. Uh, he did a great job of playing in that role, but then this team got healthy. And for him to be in the lineup, he's going to have to really uh, you know, force his way in. Now, that said, a guy like Brown, who I believe at this point would have to clear waivers to go back down, that might have been why you saw James Neal put on waivers you know, prior, uh, a couple of weeks ago and then when not picked up, moved to the taxi squad. Th- this, the team is deep, as we were just talking about. And when you've got a guy like Ivan Barbashev who can play the center position and is having the kind of success that he is having this season, you, you ride that horse. So putting him back with Butchnevich and, and Tarasenko is really in a lot of ways a no-brainer. And then it gives you the flexibility – to put the speed and, and the passing ability with a pure goal scorer and a guy like Brandon Sott. And, and again, that just creates some real matchup problems all the way down the lineup. And then there's a guy like Sunquist that, and Bozak that, that are on your fourth line. So, you know, again, to me, if, if a team wants to start matching up and try to key in on one guy, maybe then to break a Tarasenko free, you slide him up with Ryan O'Reilly or you put him down with uh, – or, or slide him uh, – heck, at this point, you, you slide him in with, <laughs> with Robert Thomas. Right? I don't even think it's right to say slide down. So that's, again, that flexibility that this team has. Now, again, when healthy, it comes to, at some point in time, not all the minutes are going to add up. But if the overall uh, thought processes do what's needed for the team – you're going to find success with those with those types of lines and those types of matchups. Curbs, I think we found or at least heard a, another X factor for this Blues team towards the end of the season, and it's the new rules with the protocols that went into place yesterday of uh, after the All-Star break, once players do that initial test back to being with the team, asymptomatic players are not tested for the rest of the season. I mean, what kind of impact is that going to be on that roster, but also on that coaching staff? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that at this point in time, because they've already had 21 of their players (laughs) end up with COVID, I don't think that it's going to be that much of an impact on the Blues roster. Other teams that haven't had to deal with what the Blues have, where it still might be coming, well, they they just got a huge break. I, I I think the Blues, honestly, from a competitive standpoint, 
felt the brunt of COVID and the rules more, if not on an equal level, if not more than any team in the league. They had to play shorthanded. They had to play without a goalie. They had to play with with, with 11 you know, forwards and seven defensemen to throw a handful of times. Now the rules have changed to kind of give a little cap relief, bring the taxi squads back up, you name it. And you're not going to hear the blues. There, no one's griping about it. I'm just saying that now that these rules have been adjusted, the fact that the blues have had so many on the COVID list, I don't think it's going to be uh, all that impactful. Now you still have a couple of guys, you know, that have not tested positive for COVID in the last couple of months. And now that part's going to be a positive for those handful of guys, because unless they're symptomatic and let, let's face it, guys, if, if they're saying that uh, you don't have to test unless you're symptomatic, I guarantee you, you're not even going to hear about a runny nose across the national hockey. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. And, and it, it's the way these sports leagues are going. I look, I thought Braden Shen said it best. So you're going to test these players every single day. They're healthier than anybody that's coming into these buildings. Uh, you're not testing the 18,000 people, right. That are coming into the buildings but we're testing the players, and what they're finding is two. What led to this was two key factors. One, more and more players, because they were vaccinated, had mild to no symptoms when they were testing positive. And then the second part of it, and this was something that a doctor had mentioned to me two and a half months ago, is that the vaccinated uh, people that are vaccinated with these variants, they were testing out of it, meaning uh, just three to five days later they were getting negative tests as well. And, and so I think that that shortened time period along with the lack of impact has led to this. And, and it's a positive for everybody. Curves. I mean, the other thing is like in our everyday lives, there are doctors and nurses and therapists and whatever else that are not being tested regularly. And they're the ones that are taking care of all of us right now. So I, it's just it, it's difficult for, for any of us to understand exactly what's what's going on. But I'm glad that they, in my opinion, finally got this right. I also wanted to ask you about the goalie situation right now for the Blues. And I'm not trying to ask you about any sort of controversy or anything like that. I think the schedule sets up really well for them curbs to go through something like this right now because over the next six games you've got two uh back to back so you've got sunday and monday against vancouver and calgary and then you've got the following weekend saturday and sunday against winnipeg and chicago right before you go into that break potentially how do you think that this schedule helps craig baruby and the staff as they kind of go into what this break's going to be and trying to get jordan bennington back on track well one of the things that that coaches do and this and the goaltending coach is a big part of this is they look at a schedule and they just kind of look ahead and they'll they'll plan two to three weeks ahead of time and unless something drastic happens they're going to stick with that plan it, it creates the, the creatures of habit it allows players to know when they're going to play and that kind of thing and more times than not even though the, the media the fans may not be told who's going to play these goaltenders know when they're expected to get in and when they're expected to go I think the Blues are in a great situation because they've got both goaltenders that can clear as they earn your points. Now, look, there's going to be an adjustment of the schedule, and I think that that may get released later on today, you know, finally, as we start to see how that Olympic break feels. And, and if not today, hopefully tomorrow. Um, I expect a couple of games to be changed, uh, you know, going into that Olympic break, and then even how it, it may be coming right out on the end. So we'll, we'll see how that part goes. But, but to me, what, what it really is going to do is the fact that you've got two goaltenders that you know are going to keep you in two games and, and keep you in games the way these guys have, you've got to be real confident because even though some games are going to shift into that, what was the Olympic break window, 
really at the end of February into March and April, as the season goes to the end of April this year, you are going to still have a crunch of games, and you need your goaltenders. Nashville lost again, right? I mean, they've, they've been riding UC Soros, and, and that guy needs a break. Uh, the Blues don't have that situation. They've got a situation where they, they can split it up a little bit, and it bodes well. And then, look, if you go into a weekend like this one, for example, and you want to give the hotter hand, which is Billy Huso, the net, well, then you play him on Friday and then one of the back-to-backs, and that gives Jordan Bennington a couple extra days of practice to be working on things. And, and practice for these goalies on that stuff is just as important as practice for special teams or other aspects of the game. I think the Blues are in a really good spot goaltending-wise still. He's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us here on BK and Ferraro, as he does each and every Wednesday at 1.30. You'll hear him on the call for the Blues versus the Kraken on Friday night, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, guys, have an awesome week. Absolutely, same to you. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to continue that conversation. How does Craig Berube look at the current goalie situation? He actually seems to view it as more of a positive than a negative. We'll let you hear what he had to say yesterday on the fast lane next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Championship Bash going down next Sunday. That's January 30th at Helen Fitzgerald, the place that I used to go for New Year's Eve, actually. Join members of the 101 ESPN crew, cool. Car Shield, and Bud Light for the AFC and NFC Great Championship wings. games. Enjoy tons of TVs to watch the, the games, wings. food and drinks, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day, including a grill, what? jerseys, tickets, and more. Billy Huso jersey? Oh, I sure hope so. I just know there's going to be jerseys there. I don't know specifically who Come they'll on, be, but man. maybe we could get you a Ville Huso jersey. No, we'll I don't see need it. I got a Bennington one. The Bash kick off, kicks off at noon with a live pregame show leading up to kickoff at 2 o'clock. We hope to see you next Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's for this year's Championship Bash. It's all brought to you by Car Shield and Bud Light. All right, to finish things off today, we open here. We're going to finish the show here. How do you handle this goalie situation over the next couple of weeks before you get to that pause for the NHL's All-Star game and what was previous? going to be the Olympics. Here's Craig Berube yesterday on the fast line. Well, I think you've got to look at, obviously, the play of the goalies and what's going on. Um, but we have a plan in place probably every you know couple weeks in advance where we look at, well, this guy's going to start here and here. But that's also subject to change on play. And um, you're right, Billy Husso's playing extremely well right now. He has been for a while. And so you got to look at that. That goes into who's going to start the game a lot of times and who's going to get the next start. I have very good trust in both goalies. I like both the goalies. And I said, I said it from day one, you need both goalies throughout a season. Alex, I think this is easier than a lot of people are making it out to be. You've got two back-to-backs. You're going to start Huso one, Bennington in the other, and those two back-to-backs. So that's four of your six games going up before the, the pause here. You've got two games that are remaining, one on Friday against Seattle, and another next week on Thursday against Calgary at home. I think you're probably starting Huso on Friday. And then the only game that you really have to play there is with Bennington versus Huso next Thursday against Calgary. I don't think this is some sort of, uh, 
competition. I don't think this is a controversy or anything like that. I think you're playing the guy that gives you the best chance to win. And over the next three games, Seattle, Vancouver, Calgary, you're going to find out who plays better in those three games. If it's Huso, he starts again against Calgary. If it is Bennington, you go to him against Calgary. This seems a little easier, in my opinion, than we're making it out to be. And then you figure it out moving forward as to what you're going to need. But Bennington's going to be the guy at the end of the season. So I I think the way that the schedule sets up actually makes this a lot easier than it could be, given if it happened at a different time in the season. Yeah, I think you're going to see an even split with this one until they hit this break. And then once they start back up, then you're probably going to go back. Well, you're going to go back to Jordan Bennington and Huso's going to be the backup getting to see some starts here. You know, I think Curb said something really important when we talked to him a little bit ago. It comes down to these guys know when they're playing. Like Huso and Bennington already know what the schedule is for the next seven games because these guys talk ahead. We just don't hear it on the media side. We sit here and we wonder. I can see them going to Bennington against Seattle because Huso played against Seattle and won that game. And maybe you want Bennington to see against a Seattle Kraken team. Huso gets Calgary, Bennington gets Winnipeg, and then you're back into the schedule here. Whatever it may be, I fully expect Craig Berube to even this out on both sides up until the break and then post break when they come back. I expect Bennington to be seeing 70, 80% of the workload in Ville Husso until it starts to falter. And if it falters for Bennington like it has been, then you go back to Ville Husso. Yeah, if we get into late March and we're having this conversation, it's an entirely different tone. You have to ride Ville Husso. At that point, oh boy, okay, now we've got something that's worth talking about as you get into April and then, okay, well, you got to set yourself up for the playoffs. Maybe Husso actually does give you the best chance to win. But for the here and now, we're, we're just not at that point yet. The next six games, it sets up right before the break to be able to do this thing where it's 50-50, and then you get back to Bennington afterwards. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from the show today, check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's over at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. The Fast Lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Debo. Oh. Nobody get that reference. Oh, my God. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.